title of the message is Communion, Passing Over from Judgment. Passover from Judgment. Thinking about communion as a Passover. We, all, we never think of communion as Passover, right? But actually communion is Passover. But Passover from judgment, okay? You want to, do you want to study that? Are you interested? Communion, passing over from judgment. You're going to learn something very powerful truth about communion that will, that will bless you in a very, very practical way. And you'll understand this power of communion in a new way that you never saw before, okay? Let's look at this. Let's go to Passover first, then we'll see how it is connected to communion, okay? Let's go that. And uh, you'll have to stay with me because you're a seasoned believer, so you all need to study a little bit more, right? There's no rush to go somewhere. Let's break it down. Let's understand it. You don't get to hear communion teaching very often. Seasoned believers. Believers who have been in the world for some time. Seasoned. Marinated. You take chicken, put it in spices, bake for some time. Seasoned means marinated. Marinated? Studied in the word. Oh, is it? I don't know. I didn't hear it. himself, a lamb, 
according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. So one lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. To every need you shall make your, make your count for the lamb. Now it says, the lamb is going to be sufficient for you, but if your lamb is too big, call your neighbor and have him partake of the lamb. But you see, it never talks about a situation where your lamb is small for your household. It's a prophetic fulfillment that Jesus is always more than sufficient for you. In fact, he's so much sufficient that you need to share it with others because there's so much left over. You got it? So we never have to be envious of believers prospering. Because just because you prosper doesn't mean that, oh, now I get less. No. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if, you, if somebody else doesn't use it, it's just going to go waste. You know? So he is more than sufficient. That means you can never out-sin him. You know what I mean? You can, you're, you're never so bad, no hopeless situation that God, even God cannot save. Not, not going to happen. That land is big enough for you. Amen? In fact, so big that you need to call a neighbor to partake of that land. You see the prophetic fulfillment of how big Jesus is. We are talking about Jesus now. You know this, right? Okay. Your lamb shall be without blemish. There you go. So you starting seeing the picture of Jesus. Without blemish. A male of the first year. Jesus. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Because either one, either one could be a sacrificed. Right? Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So you have to take it on the 10th day. And keep it till the 14th day. So how many days do you keep? Three days. Three days. Three, three days. Because when you kill it, look at this. Now you shall keep it on the 14th day. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So you kill it when? On the beginning of the 14th day. Remember in the Jewish calendar, the day starts in the evening. So just when the 14th day starts... At twilight, you kill it. So very early on the fourth day, you kill it. So how long was the lamb with the household? What is that? Jesus was three days revealed to Israel. Right? From the day when Jesus, John the Baptist told Israel, Behold the Lamb of God, ministry started. He got baptized. Three days later, Early, he was crucified. You see that picture? That means the lamb was exposed. Remember that you want to see this? This is so powerful, right? You want to love this. Okay, go back to Luke chapter. Go to Luke. You'll see this so powerful. Uh, sorry, go to John. Go to the book of John. You have a lot of material to cover, so you will have to bear with me, but it's going to be exciting. I'm going to cover the high points if I can't cover everything. Okay, John chapter 1. The next day, uh, John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. You see this? The Passover Lamb is now being exposed to Israel. Behold the Lamb of God. Because until now, nobody was been called, no man was ever called the Lamb of God. Even, even Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac, and, and uh, Abraham, Isaac asked Abraham, he said, where is the lamb? He said, God will provide for himself. Correct? But then when God did provide, he didn't provide a lamb to Abraham. He provided a ram. 
You see that thing? So because the real lamb was still in the future. That's why he, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Because he saw the lamb ahead. In the meantime, we'll work with lambs, rams. But the lamb, true lamb is still in the future. And he believed it, that it's going to happen. And he rejoiced in it. So, but here is the final, he said, behold the lamb of God. Remember Passover. See, this is Passover. You never saw it as Passover, right? John chapter is, John is saying, this is the Passover lamb. Now look at what happens. Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Because the Passover lamb takes away the sin. No other lamb takes away the sin. Passover lamb is the one who takes away the sin. Let's go forward. And then he says, 31, I did not know him. Because even John didn't know who this Passover lamb is. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing water. John's whole ministry was, ministry was, reveal the Passover lamb to Israel. So that the Passover lamb can remain with Israel for how long? Three years. And then, yeah. Look at that. So, and then the Passover lamb, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So he's revealed. And he starts ministering as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. See, classic case. And guess what happens? Look at verse 2. John chapter 2. I want to see how things that he never connected before start connecting. Look at John chapter 2. On the third day. Now, that was the first day. On the third day, John chapter 2, he went to Cana. So, it's this, after he was revealed as a Passover lamb, on the third day, he goes to Cana. And guess what? After he finished Cana, verse 12. After and after, after he finished his wedding the same day, he went down to Capernaum by his mother, his brothers and his disciples and they did not stay that many days. He immediately, he didn't stay that many days. Why? Why? Why did he not stay that many days? Don't look at me, look at the Bible. <laughs> there we go. Did you see that? Verse 13. Now the Passover is at hand. Why? Because the lamb was identified and then it is time. So, so guess when was the Passover lamb identified? On the 10th day. Because remember, 4th day they had to kill the Passover lamb early. So Jesus was identified on the first day. 4 days later he is back in Jerusalem. You see that picture? You see that thing? So he finished Cana, Galilee, the wedding, and rushes back. Rushes back to be not, not to die, but a picture. Because John identified him as the Passover man. And Passover season was at hand. So now you see when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, he's not like, Oh, behold the Lamb of God. Baba Black Sheep. No, no, no. Behold the Passover. You see that? So Jesus is the Passover lamb. You got it? So now let's go back to Exodus. Okay. Exodus chapter 12. So you shall keep him. Your lamb shall be without blemish. And he, so he has to be a male. So now you reason. That, that was the first male man. Behold the lamb. John looked at him and said, okay. And then the whole lesson. And see, look at the man. Take a sheep without blemish. See, it takes time to... It takes time. You could just God John couldn't just point to a baby and say a baby is a Passover lamb. Why? 
had to be without sin. There should have been enough opportunity for that lamb to grow and prove that it is without blemish. Because many times you look at these goats and stuff, this, uh, your fear in the livestock, they, they, they come out very beautiful and white. But as they grow, they start getting their spots. You seen that? They suddenly have their spots and they are, you know, look at your kids, right? <laughs> they look all blameless and beautiful, but, mm, okay, you're not confessing anything, but even blemishes, right? They start looking different and they all look so cute. But, you know, they start looking and they start having all the colors and, you know, this pimple and that pimple. And so you want to see, make sure it's grown up and mature and without blemish. So Jesus grew up in the Lord. Remember the Bible says he grew up in the favor of God and was approved by God and men. So he was without blemish. Proved. And then he was selected. So that's one of the reasons why Jesus did not die young. Because he had to mature without blemish. And see that he was proven that, no, this is truly a man without blemish. That's why Jesus, when he walked in Nazareth, he said to them, which of you can convict me of sin? Because they have checked him out. They checked him when he was young. They checked him when he was growing up. They checked him as a young man. You know, in his puberty years, he, they checked him out, checked him out, checked him out, checked him out. Blemishless. You know what I mean? So see, there's a reason he was proved that Jesus was perfect. Okay, there we go. Let's go back to that. I shall keep it. And then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now many times you think that the blood was put outside the doorpost. No, it is not. It was put, like if you had many rooms in the house, in the room that you stayed, you would put the blood on that lintel, inside the house, but on that doorpost. Why? Because under what you dwell, the blood was done. Very important. This is very Everything what the Holy Spirit writes in the scripture is a reason why it is. Let's look at it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire because Jesus had to be judged. He was, he was judged with all our sins. He was roasted with fire. That's why at the end of this whole experience, finally, after everything was done, Jesus on the cross said, I thirst. Because he was roasted. Because when, when you roast flesh, how do you know something is roasted? Completely, completely roasted. If a chicken is completely roasted, how do you know it's completely roasted? Completely charred. That means there is no moisture. Got it? That means completely, there is no moisture left. I mean, you don't char it because you don't eat it, right? But, but the Passover lamb had to be completely roasted, correct? So Jesus had to be completely, had to completely bear the punishment for our sins. For all our sins, completely. So he could not just get away completely. That is why Jesus finally, that's why the Bible says in the last, having accomplished everything, it's so powerful. He, the Bible is very clear. He said, having accomplished everything, he said, I thirst. He didn't say, I thirst very early in the crucifixion process. He said, having accomplished everything, that means what? He accomplished all your sins. He took everything. Say everything. There's nothing left that he did not take. He took everything. That means every, even every small pimple, he paid the price. I mean, you don't have to bear it. I mean, he got roasted for it. Having accomplished everything, he said, I thirst. And there's something very beautiful about it and we'll show it to you later. You'll be excited when you see that. And then finally, and after he's 
and, and this is fun, right? He said, I thirst, and then they brought him a sponge filled with bitter wine, gave it to him. He drank it, and then said, it is finished. We know it's one word, it's a kula, or in Aramaic, finished, from the same word called blue, or the same word kula is the same word that is called the blue tassel of the garment, the same word, it's blue. Blue means finished work. That is why when the woman with the issue of blood said, if only I might touch the hem, the kula of the garment. Kula means the finished work of Jesus. That's why she touched the finished work. So the, at the, at the, at all the rabbi teachers, even now, their robes, at the end, you see that blue stripe? That is the kula, the finished work of Jesus. So when they, they would touch, when she would touch it, it's not the garment, she was going for the blue. So that is why when we see your blue sky, remember. When you see a blue sky, remember the finished work of Jesus. That is why on the high priest garments, it was blue, reflecting the finished work of Jesus Christ. Finished work, blue, kula. Why am I at kula? Because Jesus said, kala, kula, that means finished at the cross. In Greek, he said tetelestai. Remember we studied a session on tetelestai? Tetelestai means it's a commercial word. All dues paid in full. Having finished all. Now you understand why he said that having finished all, he said I thirst and said tetelestai. So why did he say thirst? Because all the sins he was covered and then he said he drank of the bitter wine. Why did he drink of this bitter wine? Because why is it was not part of the crucifixion part? Because the Bible says in Isaiah, uh, in those days, and this is a powerful passage, powerful, powerful passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 32. It's talking about the new covenant, right? You want to see that? Okay, let's go to the Jeremiah chapter 32. Talk about this new covenant. And Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 30, chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Okay, behold, okay, look at this. How many of you know Jeremiah was called like a weeping prophet, right? He was constantly, God was using Jeremiah to tell, to tell the leaders of Israel that you're messed up, you're going after idols, you're not keeping my laws, constantly. And all these chapters, many, a lot of us don't like to read Jeremiah because it's a lot of condemnation. But if you know that, you understand what uh, God is trying to drive at the message with Israel is you cannot do it on your own you need a savior that's all Jeremiah is telling Israel but and then look at it and then he prophesies a new covenant he says look at this Jeremiah chapter 31 and I want you to pay, pay close attention to this verse 29 in those days he's talking about in those days when I implement a new covenant Okay, let's look at verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. It's happening, right? When he brought back Israel from the land, he's talking about our days. And it shall come to pass that as I watched over them to pluck up, to break up, break down, to throw down, to destroy, to afflict, and I will watch over them to build and to plant. That means God is going to be so involved to bless them that he's, as he was so purposeful in destroying them, he's going to be as purposeful in the new covenant to build them up. Okay? So that's not the point. Verse 29. In those days, they shall say no more. The, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You see that? You see that? 
but each one shall die for his own equity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. You know, for the longest time, when people suffered, people would say in Israel and all over the world, even up till now, because your your father's sin, somebody in your family's sin. It's a generational curse, and we all are suffering because of what Adam did. Correct. So just because Adam drank sour grapes. Our teeth is set on edge. Isn't that what happened? Right? We were born with our teeth set on edge. Means everything that we did failed. In fact, don't you see that? You know, every time you, not for us believers, but you see, without Christ, whatever we do doesn't succeed. It just, we just have to work so hard. Even, and I found this like a big mystery, right? Isn't there one job in this world that you can do without sweat? I mean, I mean, so what, are the, what are the odds of that happening? Can't that be just at least one job? I mean, there are so many professions, so much work, but every job there is waste and stress and labor and pain. Even the technology. Now I get emails on my phone and I could do things better than before, but still I'm stressed. So what is my email solving? So technology cannot solve. Problems, correct? Because it's a spiritual law, right? I mean, you cannot outbeat the curse. <laughs> I mean, this curse is so, you just can't beat it. Like you say, you know, in the olden days, people had to grow their own crops. And then they had to, uh, when we went to Lisbon recently, that's where they used to make the linen. They, Lisbon it was a famous exporter for linen. And all over the world, they exported linen. And they showed how they did linen. They, they did it by hand. They sew and it take two days to get one small bit pile of thread and from that they have to they showed how to spin the cloth and then they uh, weave the cloth. So it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of painful like so can you imagine you said hey, if only I had a technology to grow crops and I could have clothes I could do so much more in life right how many of you will grow your own crops and do your own clothes so how much time do you have in life? No. None. What happened? Because you cannot beat the curse. You see the thing? Because of what somebody else did, your teeth is set on the edge. But God says in this new covenant, uh, that proverb shall no longer be set on in, Egypt, in Israel. Why? Because he says, Christ is going to drink that bitter wine. So he did, he drank the bitter wine only after accomplishing everything on the cross. So that your teeth shall no longer be set on the edge. Because the curse has been reversed. So no longer should ever a believer say, because my father sinned, there are generational curses. Stop it. Jesus is saying, this is God the Father saying, no longer should he use that proverb in the land of Israel. That the, the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on the edge. Means what? Don't say that you are under a curse. You cannot. Because if you believe that Jesus drank the bitter... And he drank it when? After accomplishing all things. So because he had already finished cleaning, so what happens? He's reversing the curse. He's saying, I will drink the bitter grapes. So no longer should the children ever complain that you're under a curse. It's powerful. I mean, just think about it. Anytime the enemy comes and tells you you're under a curse, it's happening, it's, it's evil, you should say, no, no. My teeth is not set on an edge. My teeth is set on an edge. Okay. And then, look at it. 
And then he says, Behold, the days are coming, I will make a new covenant with the house. And you know this covenant. He says, He says, They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, and I will forgive the iniquity and the sin I will remember no more. We know this as the new covenant. How many people know that Jesus now in the new covenant remembers our sin no more? Amen? Okay, let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. So, uh, verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh that night roasted in the fire with unleavened bread. Look at this unleavened bread. Bread without sin. Right? That is, you're, you're not going to feed on sin. Say, no, I'll not feed on sin. And we'll talk about this in the aspect of provision very shortly. With bitter herbs and they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw. And you can keep reading that. Okay, and verse 11, and you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Correct? You shall eat the Passover in haste. Among all the things that God has told in the Bible that you shall do in haste, there's only one thing. Eat the Passover in haste. Receive Christ haste. Remember he told uh, Zacchaeus who was on the tree, he said, Come down quickly. Means come in haste. But for everything else, he said, no rush. But when it comes to receiving him, he said, do it quickly. Why wait? Now is the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? Correct? I, mean, I was giving this example the other day. And he says, it's true. There was this pharaoh. He had many plagues, right? One of the plagues was this frogs. Right? And the frogs were all over in the house, in the palace and everywhere. So God, Moses told the pharaoh, and it's in the Bible. He says, you decide the day, and I will say, I will, I will, I will declare the, I will call upon the Lord, and He will get rid of all the frogs in your palace. You say when you want me to do it, and I will do it. So what did Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. So it's like one more night, one more night with frogs. I mean, what? What's the need? Why? Why tomorrow? Why not now? You know, that's, that's how God looks at your password. Why, why are you waiting? What are you waiting? What, what do you, what do you? There's a Jesse Duplai that has taken a message. What in the hell do you want? <laughs> what in hell do you want? <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a real sense, what in hell do you want? Nothing. nothing. What the hell do you want? You don't want, you don't want nothing about hell. You want to get out of that place as soon as possible. That's one of the reasons he said, eat the Passover with haste. Eat it, quickly. Today is the day of salvation. Receive Jesus. What are you going to wait for? Man, your life is going to be better from this day onwards. I mean, there's nothing that can be better in that other place that you are. There's nothing. There's nothing. Okay, there is one. With haste. So that, that clears up this haste problem of Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike who's firstborn? Uh, read this again. Chapter, verse 12, and read this again. And I'm, that's going to be the revelation for communion. Look at that. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike whose? Israelites or the Egyptians? Both! All! Says all! So God is going to execute judgment over whom? Over all the people in the land of Egypt. Who is in the land of Egypt? The Israelites and the Egyptians. So all the firstborn are going to be struck. 
So God is not making a distinction between the firstborn of Israel or the firstborn of Egypt. At this point, at least, correct? I'm going to strike. Judgment is going to come. It's going to fall on all the firstborn, correct? Judgment is coming. Judgment is happening, correct? Uh, this is very If you can get this, you'll get the message of the communion very powerfully. Because we're still at communion. We still have a Passover, right? I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Israel, I will execute judgment. I am, God, I am the Lord. You see, look at this. Look at this. Very powerful. This is so powerful. You know, and this, this is so powerful. You know, and I never understood it until very recently. There were, there were ten plagues in Israel, correct? Each of the plagues were a judgment against the gods of Israel. Because they had a god over the flies, they had a god of the sun, they had the god of the Nile, they had the god. And we had gone to the British Museum in London and we saw these gods, some of these gods. I mean, they, had, you know, Britishers, they went all over the world and collected the best replicas and brought it there. So you could, you could see the, the Old Testament lie there, you know. King Cyrus's, Cyrus's scroll and uh, the Assyrian king's their statues and I mean all these what you read in Hezekiah you could see their kings out there you know and and it's powerful this this they were glorious but God was judging all of them right but while God was judging and Egypt was suffering you remember the Pharaoh they never got they never released Israel see all of God's judgments could not get Israel out from Egypt. Have you thought about it? Why? One, two, three. So there were judgments going on them, one after the other. But they could not get Israel out of Egypt. Why? Why do you think they could not get Israel out of Egypt? God could not get them out of Egypt. Why? Until what happened? Until they ate the Passover. See, when they ate the Passover, that night is when they were released. Think about it. All the judgments of God against Egypt could not get them to release. Because this principality who is behind this uh, Pharaoh is a principality. Isaiah talks about this. He says the king of Babylon, O Lucifer, and the Assyrian king. In one chapter, he, uh, uh, God just reveals this principality behind uh, the nations. He calls it Lucifer and he calls the king of Babylon and he calls him the king of Assyria in the chapter, I think in Isaiah chapter 38, 36, I have to find that out. But he says, so then oh, why is this principality not letting Israel go? He's, 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 he's taking the brunt of the judgments. The gods are being judged, but he's not able to release them. Until the Passover lamb, they ate. Why? Because Israelites were equally as sinful as the Egyptians. They were also worshipping false gods. They were no more righteous than the Egyptians. They were no any more different. So when judgment was falling on Israel, the principality say, I will take the brunt. But they can't go. They are not righteous. Who is paying for them? Correct? So they were stuck. Until they ate the Passover lamb because then the Passover lamb took their judgment. You got the thing? So when the Passover lamb took the judgment, guess what? When the judgment came, it went. But the Israelites did not eat of the, uh, the Egyptians did not eat of the Passover lamb. So they did not substitute their judgment. So they took the brunt of the judgment as they did the brunt of each of the previous judgments. But guess what? 
Now the principality cannot hold Egypt back because what is the logic? Because the judgment has been paid. Because Egypt, Israel has now eaten the Passover lamb. You see the power of the Passover lamb, the reason because he was roasted. So while judgment, now this is powerful. When judgment was in the streets in Egypt, judgment was on the lamb under fire. So there was judgment in the house of Israel. But it was on the lamb. So it was directed fire at Israel. But in Israel, what Israel was doing was taking the fire and the judgment of God that was upon them and directing it to the directing it to the to the lamb. You see, the lamb was roasted. So when the lamb was roasted, they escaped. Right? Because now, now, now what the principality could say? Nothing. So was it fair? Was judgment fair for everybody? When Egypt was, Egypt was, uh, Egypt firstborn died, but the firstborn of Israel died. And who was the firstborn of Israel? Jesus. Jesus. He was the firstborn. He died. Correct? And they ate of him. See, that is very important. Now, now I'm telling you, it's going to time the communion so powerfully. Very powerful it's soon. So when you think of communion and Passover, you should think what? Judgment. Somebody is getting judged or has been judged. So you're thinking judgment. See, it's very powerful. If you can get this truth, it will stop the enemy from reenacting the judgment on you. And you constantly direct the judgment to the Lamb and remind the enemy, the lamb has been judged. Remember my death. You see, when Jesus took the communion elements and says, when you eat of this, remember my, you proclaim the Lord's death. You're proclaiming the Passover's death. You're proclaiming that when judgment is happening all over the land and darkness is happening and disease is happening in your household and stress is happening, you say, relax, hold it. Let me take out my communion elements and let me eat of it and proclaim accurately the Lord's judgment. You see this? You are, see, because it's all, the judgment is all over. That principality, I mean, I'm telling you, that principality is not going to leave you just by saying, Lord, have vengeance on my enemies. He doesn't care. He will take the beating, but he will not let you go. He will die, but he will not let you go. In fact, the Bible is very clear. and I don't have the scripture, but it's there. You can Google it. The redemption of your soul is very costly. He won't let you go. He won't let you go. I mean, you will say, no, 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 Lord, punish the enemies. Yeah, he will punish. He will take the hit. He doesn't care. He will kill a thousand for your sake. But he will not let you go. How will you let, how will you be redeemed? Not by drama outside and great signs. By the simple act of eating. The Passover lamb. Wow, isn't that powerful? And when you ate the Passover lamb, guess what? Miraculously, the Pharaoh let him go. Your sickness disappears. Your stress goes off. Because why? Because you are directed fire. You are reminding that vengeance has been exacted on this lamb. Judgment has come in, right? So when you take communion, you are reminding yourself that judgment has been exacted on the body. That's why the body was broken. That means it's done. It's already broken. 
That means price was paid for you to remind yourself all the time. Every time the enemy brings stuff in your life, take out the elements in your life and say, I remind myself. I remind myself of the Passover. Judgment has happened and I'm going to flee out of it. Because the enemy sees that. He see, see, he doesn't care on how good you are and how accomplished you are and what you did for God and how many brownie points you accumulated. He cares too good for your brownie points. He knows. I mean, he's a hard taskmaster. He knows how to get stuff. So he wants to see that he's an executor of God's judgment. See, he has no power on his own. Remember? The way he kills, how does Satan kill? Satan kills by using God's laws against you. The way he kills you is he uses God's law and condemns you. That's how he killed Adam and Eve, correct? He said, go and eat of the tree of the law. <laughs> you know, this week when I was studying for this Bible, when I was looking at the Garden of Eden and he says, Eve saw the, the tree was good, desirous of, to make one wise and uh, can open my eyes. And Psalms 18 says, the law of the Lord is good, it's more valued than silver, desirable to make one's wise. But he says, but let the man be warned that you better keep everything of it. You know, the law is good, it's perfect, everything is beautiful, but you better keep everything of it. Therefore God said, don't touch it, because only one who can keep it can do it. Would you try to mess around with it? You better get, you can't, you can't start by just touching it and then not keep the whole thing. You know, have you, have you seen when you enter into some of these contracts, you sign the first clause and then because you signed the first, you have to now do the second and because you did the second, you have to now do the third and now because you, you're like, why did I even start on this, right? What, what, you know, have you been into some of these situations where, why did I even start on this stuff? You know, the law is like that. You, you try to get brownie points by the first simple looking law. He throws the whole, you have to keep the whole thing. And Satan knew that. He's going to use you. So he said the only way it is exacted. Okay, let's go back. This is roasted. You shall not remain it. Okay. The Lord's Supper. But you shall eat in it. I'll pass through the land and strike. And, and what is it? Verse 12. This is the key. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for whom? Are you serious? Is that what it says? The blood shall be a sign for you? Does it say that? I thought the blood is a sign for the destroying angel. See, it shall be a sign for you. See, communion is a sign for you. For you to be reminded that somebody has died in your house, so you don't have to die. See, when blood is spilled, what does blood spilling mean? When you say, hey, blood has been spilled here, means what? Somebody has died. So, when judgment is happening, when this angel of death is going around killing people, and when he comes into this house, he sees blood, what does it indicate to the angel? Price has been paid. Somebody has died for their sin. Because he's executing judgment of God's wrath. He's not just killing for random sake, because he's killing because they're wicked, right? Everybody's wicked. He's just killing the whole 
in enchilada <laughs> you know what I mean? killing everybody just kill kill them all you know this, this is what god said when he, when he rescued noah out of ark right he said the end of end of what has come before me are you is that correct end of end of all <laughs> i mean it's not like end of 452 indians and plus 562 caucasians and no end of all i will just destroy the whole gang you know and then suddenly something changed and god said noah found rest in the eyes of god i mean that is called grace right noah means the word means rest right rest and but but he was just ready to get kill them all so he says it shall be a sign for you see communion is a sign for you for reminding yourself that you cannot be condemned because blood has been spilled sign so that is why the blood was not outside on the doorpost because you cannot see it right the blood was inside on your room doorpost so that you can see it and you can see it and remind yourself that you know what judgment i see judgment hmm i see judgment so i cannot be judged i don't have to be stressed so when you see sickness in your body you're really seeing judgment correct when you see judge why do you sickness come the wages of sin is death death is sickness and disease right so when you see that you're saying there is judgment happening here correct so you are saying get my communion elements up right because let me break the body of jesus christ and eat it because now i am reminding myself of the death of jesus the judgment on jesus's body correct so you are seeing that as a sign for me i'm reminded of the death of jesus christ i'm reminded of the judgment on jesus christ concerning this particular issue because remember all has been accomplished on jesus not just some part everything so so you take the communion elements and eat it and remind yourself this has been judged on jesus the blood is a sign for you okay keep going down and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over i will pass over the pass over the word means skip i will skip i'll skip judgment pass over and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when i strike the land of egypt so this day shall be a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the lord throughout your generations and look at verse 14 says you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance let me ask you a question if god said you shall keep a feast as an everlasting ordinance why don't you keep passover ordinance why because that's one ordinance that you keep it's an everlasting ordinance you keep okay keep going on you love it and then he says so shall you keep it seven days you shall eat unleavened bread that means you shall eat without sin don't you know when you're taking communion you are not eating feeding on your own flesh because your flesh is sinful 
but you are eating on unleavened bread. What are you feeding on? You are feeding on the body of Jesus Christ. You are feeding on, meditating on His finished work, not on how evil you are. You see the thing about communion where he said, each man examine himself, we'll, 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 we'll break that passage today with powerful when it comes to communion. You are not supposed to feed on unleavened bread, on unleavened bread. In fact, the Jewish, I have a book on the Jewish feast and the detailed process on each of the feasts. It's, I was looking at the Passover, Pesach, which is what they, Pesach, which is the feast for oh man. There are like six, seven pages of all the things that they have to do. They would go eat through the house and hunt for every bit of bread and clean out their dwelling places for bread and they would search it out and remove every piece of bread from their house to start the feast of unleavened bread on the night of the Passover. Because God told you shall not have any unleavened bread. You shall have no sin in your dwelling places. Unleavened bread. You shall not feed on it. So when you come in, when you take communion, you are supposed to feed on Jesus' finished work and his perfection, not on how good or evil you are. You have to discern not your body, you are supposed to discern the body of Jesus Christ. You see? Look at the word discern. You are supposed to discern not your body, you are not supposed to look at your righteousness, you are supposed to look at his righteousness. You are supposed to see how perfect he is. He is not supposed to look at, no, I have not fasted enough. I have not prayed enough. I have gone far away from God. I have not done this. You Stop feeding on leavened bread. Feed on unleavened bread. During the five, seven days, when you are having Passover, which is the everlasting heaven, which is communion elements, you said you are supposed to feed on how perfect Jesus is. Casting down every imagination and high thinking and pulling down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God to the obedience of Christ. Means you have any every time a thought comes on how evil you are, you have to direct it to the obedience of Christ, saying how obedient Christ is. You see that page? That's how you, you think that no, no, I have to control every negative thought and bring it into Christ's power. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get anywhere with your power. You have to say, when, when you think, when you think, oh, you know, I'm so sinful, you have to focus it and say, no, 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 no. I, I am sinful, but how obedient is Christ? How perfect is my Passover life? How blemishless is He? See, I'm feeling, I'm moving my thoughts from myself to how perfect He is. See, the more you think and meditate on how evil you are, you're going to get stressed. Then what happens? The moment you, you think about how evil you are, you become very self-defensive and you start blaming others. Every, I am who I am because of everybody else in my life. You know, it's my husband, it's my fiancé, it's my children, it's because of them. I am who I am because of them. But seriously, why do you want to be stuck in that rut? Focus your, start eating unleavened bread in your life. Start feasting on Christ and His finished work. Don't eat leavened bread. Don't eat leavened bread. So we still at Passover. And He says, you shall eat. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. I mean, that's a severe word. 
He's saying, if you eat unleavened bread, you cannot be part of, you're, you're being, going to be cut off from Israel. See, he, he takes so seriously feeding on, because your righteousness can never get you anywhere. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to jump right from there. Right over there, and let's go to First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-four. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-four. First Corinthians. First Corinthians eleven. start reading 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 onwards. Now he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Okay, look at this. I, you will start seeing the Passover come, come across live very powerfully out here. It says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Now, here, Paul is, has found the way that the Corinthian church is doing the communion as a problem. Correct? And let's find out something very powerful in this. Okay? Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you have come together, not for the better, but for the worse. So they are coming together. Is it benefiting them? No. It's, get, it's, it, it's, it's working against them. Correct? It's going for the worse. So, so remember, that's the con context. That's why you start. You all are coming together for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I thought, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So guess what's happening? When they're coming together, there are factions among them. And what are the factions based on? Huh? Not really doctrines. Look at it. A kind of doctrines, but what about? What are the factions about? That those who are approved may be recognized among them. So they are like one guy is better than the other guy. He's, he's better. So the focus is not Christ. The focus is each other's good works, each other's lifestyle, each other's teachings, each other's stuff. You see the difference? See the first problem we can identify that they are focused. So they are feeding on leavened or unleavened bread? Leavened bread. Because their focus is on each other. You see the thing? So you see the thing? You get that picture? There's a divisions because, see you have divisions in the church. Only when you will focus on each other's weaknesses. If you focus on Christ's perfection, how can there be divisions in the church? Correct? You have divisions even in a family. Why? Because when you focus on each other's weaknesses and faults. Correct? So you have divisions among yourself. Because you are focusing on each other. Because you are eating leavened bread. You see that? Okay, let's keep reading that. Focus chapter 11. For there must be factions among you, but those who are approved must be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. <laughs> See, you are coming together to eat whose supper? Each other. So eating, you are eating leavened bread. You are not eating the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Supper is the Passover. Correct? So you are not eating the Passover lamb. 
You're eating each other. I mean, I'm telling you, this is so powerful because the enemy does this. The way the enemy brings condemnation is when he focuses on each other's faults and your faults. Because then he can bring stuff into your life. Because you, he forget, he, he thinks that you forget that it has been exacted and judged. So he thinks that if I can bring you back under condemnation, he can bring those judgments on you directly. So that's why you find this big problem. And you've seen that in your life, right? When you are at, not at peace with yourself or with somebody else, stuff doesn't work together in your life. You see that? The, the things that normally go smooth just doesn't work. You know? You just, the most ordinary things seem to break down. Why? Because now you're not at peace with yourself or you're not at peace with somebody else because now you're feeding on leavened bread. You have to focus on the perfect Christ and Him, the Passover. So when you have situations like that in your life, take out the bread and the wine and partake of it and remind yourself the sign to you that judgment has been exacted on Christ Jesus. Judgment. Remember, see, whenever you take communion and Passover, remember judgment. See, Passover night was a night of judgment. Somebody was judged in Israel, their firstborn was judged in Israel. Sorry, in Egypt, their firstborn was judged in Israel. Jesus, the firstborn, was judged. So anytime you have strife in your life, sickness in your life, pain in your life, poverty in your life, remember, you are bearing the judgment again. You have to direct it back to communion and say, Lord, I remember your death. I remember judgment on your body. And that's why he said, this bread was broken for you, not for my sake. Okay, let's keep reading. It's, it's very exciting. You'll love this. Okay. There must be, and therefore you come together in one place, not to eat the Lord's Supper, not to eat the Lord's Passover. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and the other one is drunk. Because now it's, you're comparing each other. You're, you're out for yourself, not for the, the Passover itself. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say this? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Then he breaks down. Paul, you know, Paul was not with Jesus. How many of you know Paul was not with Jesus? During the ministry of Jesus on the earth, right? Peter and the twelve disciples were. Paul was out of season, correct? God, Jesus appeared to him in, the, in Damascus. And you should know the timeline. After he showed himself at Damascus, uh, Ananias then ministered to him, then Barnabas brought him. Uh, before that, he went to Arabia and God taught him a lot of stuff in Arabia. Then he went to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ appeared to him in the temple in Jerusalem. The book of Acts records it. We don't know all that stories, but it is there. It's powerful. So Jesus personally would appear to Paul and fill him up with all his ministry. That's powerful, right? <laughs> Out of season, Jesus shows up to Paul and tells him of all that Jesus did during his ministry. A one-on-one -on -one session. One-on-one. -on -one. Very powerful. Look at that. For I received from the Lord that which I also did. See, I received from the Lord. Not from Peter or from the church in Jerusalem or from anybody. I received from the Lord. That the, the Lord on the same night in which he betrayed took bread. So Jesus appears to Paul and tells him of the most important things in his ministry. 
And what Jesus considers important enough to tell Paul is communion. I mean, see, Jesus had a lot of things to share from his three and a half years ministry. The Bible, John says if all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to fill up the world. There would be there'd no space in the world to fill up the books. So, so, so Jesus shows him communion. Obviously, there is something very powerful about communion that Paul, Jesus wants Paul to know. Correct? Yes or no? Very powerful. Something very powerful. And I'll show you what is very powerful. Look at it very closely. I also delivered it to you. He said, what I received, I also delivered it to the church. And he tells this to every church. The same night. Which night was that? Which night was that? The night that Jesus betrayed was what night? Was the night of Passover. How do we know that? Luke chapter 22. It was the night of Passover because they had they had gone to eat the Passover in the in the upper room. That is where he broke the bread. Correct? It was the same night. It was the Passover night. The same night. In the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, the word in Greek is Eucharistus, given thanks. Eucharist, you see the Catholics, we, have this, we celebrate the Eucharist. Eucharist. You celebrate the Eucharist. Eucharist means give thanks. That's the word. In the same night, and when he had given thanks, he, look at what he said, he broke it. You see that word, broke it? Because the Jews, they do it. They call the matzah bread. So after they eat the Passover lamb, they finish the eating the meat, correct? With the bitter herbs. Uh, God told them to eat the bitter herbs. After they finish the meat, they would take the matzah bread. The matzah bread they would have. The matzah bread is bread which is unleavened. And if you look at the matzah bread, and you can Google it, you'll find this matzah bread is thin, very thin, because it's unleavened. It's not risen. It has a lot of holes in it. And it has, it has grooves in this bread. And they don't know why they do this. But they always bake it with grooves on the bread. They don't know why they do it. On the rack. And the grooves are there. And the lines are there. But they always do it. By tradition they do it. You know why? Because they don't know that it represents the body of Jesus Christ. By his stripes we are healed. You know, the stripes are there. Even now when they eat the matzah bread, the stripes are there, correct? So, and they break the matzah bread. Matzah bread is it's a thin wafer, they break it. So guess what they do? They have a towel with three pockets. They take the bread and hide it in three pockets. Are you getting it? I read this somewhere. Yeah. Three days Jesus was in the belly of the... They do it now. They don't know why they do this. They just put this bread in three days. And they take one bread in the middle. Bread, they take it and they break it. Right? And one of the small piece, they put it back in the middle bread, in the middle pocket. And the other bread, they hide it. Right? And when they find it, they rejoice. <laughs> Because it's resurrection, right? When when they when they find it, they just rejoice and they all celebrate. They still do it. Passover. This is the tradition in the Jewish home. They don't know what they're doing, right? But one day they will. Hallelujah. 
But we have this revelation, correct? So J Jesus is taking this matzah bread on the night of Passover. He breaks it because breaking was done as Passover. So what we celebrate in communion is Passover. And then Jesus gives this revelation finally. Generations and years they have been doing it before Jesus came and they are still doing it after Jesus came. But Jesus reveals it there and he says, breaks it. That's why the word broke it is very important. Broke bread. Broke bread. Whenever you see the word broke bread in the Bible, think communion. Why? Broke bread. When you break somebody's body, you are meaning man, what are you saying? It is? It is? It is dead. It is broken. You don't? <laughs> Let me just break onion and divide it among all of you. That means I'm dead, right? You don't divide pieces. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that, right? I mean, if I, I, nobody does that. You don't break a human being. You would only break it if that person is dead. So Jesus said, break. This is my body. This is my body broken for you. Means this is the Passover that has taken the judgment for you. It has been broken. That means broken for you means judged for you. Broken means judged. Remember Passover night. It's judgment upon. So when he says, now we don't eat a lamb. Because that lamb has come and gone, right? See, the Jews were looking forward to the lamb, correct? When they were having the Passover. But now we don't eat a lamb roasted with fire because the true lamb has come and has been roasted. But now we eat the bread because we still eat and remind ourselves that judgment has been done on our Passover. Correct? So he says, look at that. Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay? Okay, look at this. In the same manner, similar manner, he also takes the cup after supper. Now guess what? In the Passover, they had four cups. They would drink a cup first, they would drink a cup, they had different blessings upon each cup, and finally they would have the final cup. And they, right now they have a fourth, fifth cup, which is called Elijah's cup. They believe that Elijah will come before the Messiah appears, which the Bible prophesies, that he will appear on the last days. And he says, when Elijah comes, he will drink of that cup. In fact, they still believe that Elijah comes to on every Passover and drinks of that cup. But So when they drink that cup, they, somebody from their Passover table will get up and go open the door. Now, still now, they'll open and say, Elijah is check in the streets whether Elijah is there in the streets. They still do it in the Passover. Guess what? One day, Elijah will be on the streets in Jerusalem before Jesus shows up. That is why when Jesus said, the kingdom has come, uh, the disciples said, but El Elijah didn't come. Remember that question? Because they, they celebrate Elijah. They know that when the Messiah comes, Elijah comes before. But Jesus said, your Elijah has already come. Who was their Elijah? John the Baptist. Correct? So when the first coming happened, John the Baptist came as the Elijah. Correct? But when the second time happens, Elijah will show up. That's why Elijah never died. Remember? He was taken up, coming back. He's coming back. No, 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 it is real Elijah. Real, real Elijah will come. Real Elijah will come. The Bible says that the last witnesses, they appear. Moses and Elijah? We don't know about Moses or Elijah, but Elijah, Jesus says, I will send Elijah, my servant, before 
the day you know and he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the father to their children who are these children father israel and the father god there's going to be a great restoration of israel just before the messiah shows up but you the church will be raptured by then it could happen that the church is all taken away we don't know what sequence is most likely the church is taken away and the reconciliation happens and uh, the israel cries remember israel cries out when nobody is there to save and the armies come against him and then jesus shows up right and that's when all of israel will be saved the bible says because they all cry out mount of olives because they cry out for deliverance for the change see right now our messiah has come correct we are in him correct correct so okay we are diverting but he says what this one of the cups so he takes the cup of the passover he takes that cup and he says he picks up that cup and he says this is my new covenant not the old covenant because remember what covenant jeremiah chapter 31 says this is my new covenant what is this new covenant the covenant says i will forgive your sins and i will remember your iniquity no more wow it's like isaiah chapter 53 says jesus died for us and isaiah chapter 54 these are like the days of noah to me i will be angry with them or rebuke them no more he's talking about that covenant when god will not be angry now let me ask you a question why is this new covenant why is god able to make a new covenant saying i will be angry with you no more or rebuke you anymore i mean have you do have you know this verse in the bible where it says god says in the new covenant i'll be angry with you no more and rebuke you no more do you know this passage isaiah chapter 54 these are like the day you were there in the pastor's message last time about the rainbow isn't it right Okay, I want you to go back and see Isaiah chapter fifty because this is a powerful passage and you should know this. God, because of Passover lamb, Isaiah chapter fifty-four. Just go to that one verse and we'll jump back, right back. Isaiah chapter fifty-four. Okay, Isaiah chapter fifty-four, and he's talking about the new covenant. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn, remember the rainbow, that the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth. So I have sworn. Same, same covenant. unconditional covenant are people still evil in the world after noah yes. is there every thought of their mind still evil lot of times but is god covering the earth with a flood no why because it's a a new covenant because jesus promised on his own and he declares it by a rainbow even last week we saw a rainbow here because it was rainbows all over you know you can see that rainbows because of the the sun and the 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 rain you see that because it's reminding you that god will not no longer cover cover the earth with water irrespective of the condition of man see it is not dependent on the condition of man correct the covenant of noah was not dependent on the condition of man yes or no yes she so says was was this so i have sworn that this is like that covenant like that same covenant because it has nothing to do with you I will be angry with you or rebuke you I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you for the mountain shall depart and the hills will be removed but my kindness shall not depart from you nor my covenant of peace be removed see god calls this a covenant of peace so when he takes this cup he's he's he is instituting this covenant this covenant of peace what is this covenant it says i will be angry with you no more I will be angry with you no more. I will be angry with you. Go back to Corinthians. Okay, and we'll quickly wrap it up. 
take, eat, this is my body, and in the same cup, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is my new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The word proclaim there the word proclaim there is accurately proclaim. Kata is accurately proclaimed. That means you are declaring it accurately the day of the, uh, the, the death of the Lord. So when you take, eat the body of Jesus Christ, the bread of Jesus Christ, you are declaring accurately the judgment has come upon for my sins and for my troubles, everything, it has come accurately. You are declaring, if there is one accurate declaration, I mean you want one accurate declaration that reminds you and that you can see our Christ Jesus' death, right? Because it's so powerful, right? He says, you accurately proclaim the death of the Lord when you have communion. Accurately. Accurately. Remember, accurately proclaim. You accurately proclaim. Therefore, whoever, therefore, then he connects this with therefore. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, how do you eat it unworthy? That's always been a question. How do you eat it unworthy? Here it is. Verse 29. So let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, again that word, right? How do you eat it unworthy? He drinks, so one thing is clear, if you drink this cup unworthy, you drink judgment. Look at the word judgment again. Why judgment? Because this is Passover. Passover is going on here because they are celebrating Passover. Because if you are not eating of the Passover lamb, what's happening to you? Who is bearing the judgment? You are bearing the judgment. Instead of the Passover lamb bearing the judgment. You see, communion is about judgment because it's Passover night. So, judgment is happening all over the world. It's happening in your bodies. It's happening in your mind. That's why you are stressed, you are angry, you are sad, your healing is not there, your body is sick, you are not being productive in your life. It's all judgment. It's all aspects of death. Judgment happening all over the world. So, why is it happening to you? Because somewhere we are not partaking of the Lord, but you are partaking of yourself. Look at, look at the verse there. He, let, he who does not eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. So something is definitely happening. They are drinking judgment. Amen? What is the manifestations of drinking judgment? We'll see it a little below. Okay? But something is happening. They are bearing the judgment, not the Passover man. Correct? Because there is judgment happening. They are bearing the judgment. They are drinking judgment. How are they drinking unworthily? Not Wow! Not discerning the whose body are they discerning? Their own. See, they are focused on their lack and their blemishes, so they attract judgment. They are not discerning the Lord's body as the recipient of judgment. They are focused on how good they are, so guess what? The enemy is thinking, hold it. So that is not the lamb. Huh? So you are the lamb. All the demons, they start going after you. 
they are after you now because you have identified as the lamb because now your focus is i am the lamb without blemish you, this is powerful if you can ever see this the moment you focus on your righteousness you declare yourself as you are the lamb without blemish and you attract all of satan's power and torment because now you are being tested correct you are saying no 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 no, no. i am the one that's the lamb so is it you take communion and eat it because now you are eating the bread and declaring accurately the word proclaim in the bible is the word proclaim is accurately proclaim go and read the greek in that it's not just proclaim it's accurately proclaim you have to accurately proclaim the lord's death because if you don't accurately proclaim that the lamb is my passover you would attract judgment to yourself you would be sick you would die early you would be struggling you would not be productive because you are so focused on how good you are rather on the unleavened bread that is Christ Jesus this bread was broken for you you see how quick the enemy is because he knows this right he doesn't all the believers do not know this thing so he first of all stops you from having communion number 1 because he doesn't want to you to proclaim the lord's death why <laughs> why does he not want you to proclaim the lord's death see it is in his interest that you don't proclaim the lord's death because he can kill you see somebody has to die it doesn't mean that he there is ceasefire out here just because you don't take communion the enemy is taken a holiday from judgment he is called ha satan a full time adversary against you he is full time day and night executing god's judgment he is executing god's judgment because he has no authority of his own he executes god's judgment of breaking the law he condemns you first that you broke the law and then brings all the diseases of the book of the law on you and you remember the bible talks of the blessings in deuteronomy and the curses of deuteronomy why do you think that the curses are more than the blessings for our sake to know that all the troubles including allergies skin conditions sicknesses diseases poverty suffering lack nakedness bitterness you remember the whole thing why because everything was drunk by jesus christ correct he became the roasted lamb for you he took it up so every time you want to become the lamb without blemish and try to pretend that you're going to get you're going to get attacked because you are not right that's why jesus said if you saw thought you are you are you are blind at least you you can now see but you say you are you can see therefore your your sin remains you see your sin remains harmatia means sin that means what is in you that evil remains because you are not refused to receive the fact that you apart from christ you are a sinner you are depending on your righteousness right you see that not discerning the lord's body so what aspect of the communion is very powerful about judgment the body for judgment and the blood for the new blessing it's called the cup of blessing that means this is the new covenant that means now you are no longer focused on judgment you finished judgment correct you ate the body it's been judged now because it's been judged god says now i can have a i have a covenant with you i can give you not only i can not only spare you of the judgment but i can bless you 
actively. See, there is one thing to just spare you of disease and sickness. This is a whole other thing to be blessed actively. You want to be just blessed actively, correct? Not focused on judgment, but focused on blessed actively. And God says, drink my cup. I remember your sins no more. I will be angry with you no more. Right? It's a new covenant. This is the covenant of blessing that God had promised Abraham that Israel could not get. Because the Bible says Israel, they could not enter the land of Canaan. They could not, they entered the land, but they could not enter the land of rest. Because their rest was in Christ Jesus. And that rest they never found it until Jesus came. Correct? So that rest, we are now blessed to enter. So now we are blessed to overfill. So we enjoy the land of Canaan. The land flowing with milk and honey. That is you and I, we live it. We have a blessed life. We have a blessed life because of the cup of blessing. But when you break the bread, you are reminding yourself of what? Judgment. Any area in your life that the enemy is judging you, you judge. You declare that my Lord has been judged. My Lord has been judged. My Lord has been judged. Any area. Doesn't have to be sickness. Any area. Like for example, you are like very angry with somebody. You want to judge them. So, there is directed anger against somebody and you want to judge them, correct? You know that this is wrong because that judgment Christ has paid for his sins, isn't it? Correct? And now because you are judging that person, the enemy has found a way to judge you. Oh, this is so powerful. This is so powerful. Because Jesus said, do not cast your pearls to swines. What will they do? They will turn around, trample it and come after you. He is talking that parable in context of judging your brother. Did you know that? I will show it to you. It's powerful. When, when you judge, this is the same measure you judge others, it will be measured back to you. Who uses this measure against you? Not God. The devil. He says, oh, you so you don't think that brother should prosper that much, is it? Ah, interesting. Okay, I'm going to use that measure that you used against him. So next time when God is wanting to bless you, he comes with that measure to you and says, you do not deserve it because that's the same measure that you use against him. See, the devil is using the pearls that has been, the law, that was the measure that was used. He says, and the Bible, God said, do not give what is holy to the dogs. What is holy? The law is holy. Don't use the law to judge people. Because don't give it to the dogs. Because what happens? They're going to use the law against you. And then he says, do not give your pearls to swine. Because what you think are good, your good righteous works, your pearls. And you give it to the swine. What does the swine do? They trample it. Because they know it is fake. China made. You know? <laughs> because they know your righteousness is fake. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. They know it more than you. So what they do? They turn against you and trample you down. So guess what? The more you boast about your righteousness, guess what happens? You become more miserable. You don't prosper ahead in life. And you hear these words many times that believers use. I don't deserve this. I work so hard at this. Ah, ah, that's where your pearls are going. You're saying, I don't deserve this. Correct? I am good. I deserve better than this. What? You're using pearls. You're throwing these pearls to swine. What does swine do? Oh, you think you're good, right? Okay, I'll show you how good you are. You see, the power in Egypt would not let Israelites go, no matter the judgment, until 
the fire was directed against their Passover lamb. I'm telling you, don't waste your time fighting the enemy. Spend time having communion. <laughs> this, is, this is so, I mean, you, the more you think about it, it's so powerful. Direct the fire to the finished work of the broken body of Jesus Christ. You're angry with somebody, go have communion. If you're mad with your spouse, go and have communion. If you and your spouse are uh, you're worried about something, have communion together. Because in the area where you are, you are seeing the symptoms of judgment, it's because it is, you are deserving the judgment in some way. Because you are not discerning the Lord's body, you are discerning your body. You see the thing? I mean, if you get this principle, you are going to... I mean, there is no telling. There's no telling why Jesus Christ, of all the important things that he had to do on the night that he was betrayed, would spend the time breaking bread. Because he said, this is power. I'm going to do you a secret for you can do. And I'll show you from example. This is so powerful. This is resurrection from the dead. Let me give you a secret. You can raise people dead up from the dead when you have communion. Do you know that? Because when somebody dies, it's judgment on them, isn't it? When you break bread, you're transferring the judgment. The judgment, you're reminding us what your resurrection happened. Do you want to see that? I'll show you. It's powerful. It's powerful. Who doesn't care whether somebody else doesn't understand communion? But you can take communion. The whole, all of your people that you're surrounding with, they will be spared from judgment. Because judgment is not directed to the fact that it has been paid. Because now, Christ is not judging people. God is not judging people. Father is not judging people. I have verses Many from the New Testament in Jesus' own words. And I'm going to, I don't care if it's going to take time because I want you to know that Jesus and the Father does not judge. So who is judging? It's the enemy who is doing the unfinished work of judgment on you. He's reminding you and you're making it deserve. But the fire, the enemy, you have to remind yourself and the enemy that it has been finished. It's been judged already. Because the father is no longer angry, right? We just proved in Isaiah chapter 54. So he's not angry with me. So who is angry with me? So who wants this? Who like somebody wants it? You know, somebody comes to the door and says, You're going to be put in prison for 20 years. Nobody's going to do that in my house. But somebody walks in and says, So who who is this? Who whose order is this? Check it out. I mean, the many of times you take receive these orders and you don't even check out, just walk with them and go to the jail. <laughs> Why? Who is this guy who is leading you? On what basis is it? Under which court is it? In your court, he has been, Jesus has already been punished. And remind yourself, you proclaim accurately the Lord's death till he comes. Why do you think you need to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes? Jesus already knows that he's dead. I mean, it is not for him. It is for you. Because you have to remind yourself, just like the Passover lamb, the blood is within your lentils, in your house. It's for you to remind that every time there is noise or wailing outside in the neighborhood, the firstborn die. And you can see, and you can feel this, you can hear this cry coming through. And you can hear it in the surrounding place, in the back, and the front. And suddenly what happens? Fear starts gripping you. You know what? I do not keep all the laws. I worshipped the golden calf uh, in Egypt. I went to the temple prostitute. You know what? You start getting condemned. So every time you do that, what, what, what does Lord say? Look to the blood. Look to the blood. 
your mental. See, you can see it, right? You can see it, right? See that He's been punched. Jesus is going to punch. Finished. Only punched. So guess what? He skips. That you don't receive the judgment. Everything is a judgment. Everything that's happening to you, which is not God's will, is a judgment for you for your sins that you think you committed. But God has purified you, has sanctified you, has declared you righteous. But still, you, the Bible says when the curse came on Adam, he said, uh, not curse, God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dying you shall die. The English verse translation, not all the translations have it. It says, on that same day you shall die. The actual accurate translation is, dying you shall die. That means the process of judgments will start and finally you will it was a mercy. It was a mercy verdict for God because God didn't want you to be die directly because He was preparing redemption. So why? So why, as a believer, you still get symptoms of judgment, dying symptoms? He remind Himself of the blood of Jesus Christ, the body. Do you discern the body of Christ? Let's go back further, down quickly. Any, any, and for this, and there you go. Verse thirty. For this reason, we always wondered why is the church sick? How is it that? The body of Christ is as sick as the world. They suffer the same symptoms, the same allergies, the same bondages, the same weaknesses. I mean, how are we different from the world? There it is. There it is. Look at it. The secret. You ever wanted a secret on why the church, many, doesn't say all. Look at that. For this reason, how many? How? How many? Not a few. Not a few. How? How many? Many. That means a vast majority. Many. And we see that, isn't it? In fact, the ones who live victoriously as part as believers are few. But many. Many. Why? Why? For this reason. What reason? Which reason? What reason? What reason? Look at the previous reason. For this reason. For not discerning the Lord's body because they are receiving the fire. Brothers and sisters, if you can just see that, the recent judgment is coming upon the church and you, you, you eat of, like Lord's heart, uh, soul was afflicted, righteous Lord was afflicted in Sodom. Was why? Because he was in Sodom and receiving of its plagues. Correct? You'll be out of it. You say no, but Abraham was not. Abraham was not because he was partaking of the Lord. His eyes was not on Sodom. He was not eating off his uh, bread. He was thinking, he, he, that guy was a liar. Abraham was a liar. He told lies. He did stupid things. But God never called him a liar. God never rebuked him because he was operating in the new covenant. Because he was declared righteous. Correct? So he was eating of how good God is, not how good how bad he is. Got it? You see the difference? And he was he was victorious all the time. Right? So so can you. So a few. So for many are weak. Weak means they're sick in their bodies. And sick. The word is the same. The Bible in the same word is used for sick and weak. Weak and sick and you are not fully healthy and this. And many among you and many sleep. Wow. He doesn't say die because the believers do not die. Believers do not die. But yet they fast. That means before their time, they go tonight. So you say, no, it's God's will that God wanted a flower in heaven. God wants no flower of yours in heaven. 
God wants you to live a long life, I will satisfy you and show you my Yeshua. Correct? God wants you to have long life. But many, many believers, they die early. Why? Because they... And I, I, you see this. Many times when people have terminal diseases and stuff like that, you ask them very privately. They, they, really privately. They, they, they will say this. They will say this. I deserve this. I deserve this. You know, I want to go with them. You know, I, 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 I messed up in my life. I've not lived a proper life. Ah! What are you doing? Huh? Huh? You are not discerning the Lord's body. You are saying that I will take the judgment. Isn't it? So guess what? You take the judgment. You will not. You, you will not go to hell. Because you will sleep. But man, you can live longer lives here. Amen? If you just discern the Lord's body as the recipient of judgment. You see the difference? Do you want to live long? Or do you want to go fast to be with Jesus? long live abundant life here and abundant life everlasting right why do you think Lazarus want Martha and Mary wanted Lazarus alive because nobody wants to die early with Jesus or without Jesus right they don't want they want to live life well right so why do you want to sleep you want to sleep for this reason okay for many sleep and look verse 31 oh can you see verse 31 for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That means if you're going, if you're going to judge, judge yourself in Christ Jesus. Because once you judge yourself in Christ Jesus, you will not be judged. You got it? You're not going to be judged because you are. You suffer sickness and diseases because of you are receiving judgment. Judgment. Okay. Skip reading. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Chastened by the Lord means when we are judged by the Lord, when, when, when we are judged under Christ, we are child trained. The word chastened is child trained. Pedio. The word is pedio. Pediatrics means he instructs us like a child. So like for example, when we are under Christ and we, we receive communion and we receive of him, God trains us. He doesn't condemn us and judge us he doesn't he chastens us chastens us is not the chastening that you know in english word no 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 he's not beating you no no he's saying is he pediatrics he, he trains you up he trains you up like a child so when you come under this god trains you up so that look at the verse next thing he chastens by the lord that we may not be that means you will not suffer sickness, disease and judgment like the world receives judgment. You receive training. You don't receive judgment. Say judgment. I want you to get this in your mind. God's judgment is passed over. Passed over. It's passed over. It's passed over you. All you are receiving is training. God will train you with his words. He will tell you what needs to be done. But you will not receive the judgment for the same. So what's going to happen is for the same sins that an unbeliever would receive judgment, you receive training. Did you get that? Did you get that? For the same sins that the unbeliever would get destruction, you they would receive karma. And that's very popular in America. Oh, that's karma. You know? What goes around comes around. 
goes around comes around to me. What goes around comes to Jesus. Not to me. He's been judged. I discern the Lord's body. <laughs> I, I do see what goes around. I see it in my communion cup. Hallelujah. So they receive judgment and condemnation. Kriya, that is Kri. It's called judgment in Greek. Krina, judgment. But you receive Pidio. Oh, I'll take a deal. I'll take Pidio anytime. Pediatrics. Do you beat your child and kill him just because he did stupid things? You say, what? Okay, go play now. You know? You just train the child, right? Good father. There are some exceptions. <laughs> okay. So you get pedo training. I will take that. Take communion and receive pedo training, man. Why go under judgment? Why get condemned and suffer all the sickness and disease and die young? Don't do that. You want to be prosperous? Drink the cup of blessing. Okay. Keep doing that. For this reason. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the word. I like that. Therefore, therefore he concludes. Look at that. Therefore. Look at that. Therefore. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for... Ah, look at that. So the whole communion is revolved around? Around? Judgment. The issue is who is getting judged? Don't come and receive judgment for yourself. Lest you come together for judgment. Now you understand because it's a Passover lamb. Right? Do you see that? Let's go to Luke chapter 22 quickly. Because it's such a powerful chapter, we might not be able to visit communion many times later, but I want you to look at this. Teaching is fundamental. This is so essential. If you want to have long life and live life without sickness and disease and stress and stuff like that, make communion as a part of your act. Make communion. Discern the Lord's body. Don't start, when you take communion elements, don't start going, Oh, what all I have sinned last week, Lord. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Are you going to think about leavened bread? You're forgiven. The Bible says, remember the new covenant. First you take the body and remember judgment. Take that. It says, in that body everything has been met. It's been paid off, therefore I received a blessing. Right? And then you take the cup. In the cup, whenever you take the cup, don't start thinking of your sins. Think Jeremiah chapter 31. I remember your sins no more. He will not be angry with me anymore. And this is the cup of blessing. I will walk in the high hills of Jacob. I will enjoy the heritage of Abraham. So now you are in the active, overcoming, surely goodness and mercy shall hunt me down face when you take the cup. But when you take the bread, judgment, judgment, Passover land, body broken for me, any area of your area that is causing stress, that's judgment. Don't take it, don't take it, don't take it. Put it on that. Got it? So you can see the difference? So you discern the Lord's body. So your sickness, disease and everything is not in the blood. It's in the body. Because judgment is there. In the blood is your active life eternal. Your heritage, your blessing. You got it? So there are two elements to it. A lot of people will just combine both and thank you Jesus for your sins are forgiven. So what happens? They go thinking that their sins are forgiven but still deserve to be judged. Because they have not discerned the body. You see that difference? 
you have to distinguish the Passover lamb correctly, accurately proclaim the Lord's death. You have to accurately proclaim. Why is it important why, to accurately proclaim for your benefit? You cannot be wavery about your proclamation of the Lord's death. It's not for the Lord, it's for you. It's for you. Very powerful. Very powerful. They're like, okay, let's go to Luke chapter 22. And we will close with that. Verse 7. Luke chapter 22 verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. There you go. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then, then keep going down. Uh, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So who is going to be killed? The Passover. The Passover will be killed. The Passover lamb will be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And he said to them, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Now look at this. This is a powerful picture of a symbolic picture of what God Jesus does. Behold, when you have entered the city. This is a picture of when you have entered the land. When you become a believer. When you have entered the city. When you, when you arrive. A man will meet you carrying a picture. The moment you receive Jesus, what is the first thing that happens? Somebody met you. Who was that? And what was he carrying? Picture of water. Out of, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. The first thing when you become a believer, the one he meets you is a man carrying water. Picture of water. Immediately he meets you. I mean the Holy Spirit comes. Water in the Bible is constant from Genesis to Revelation is the Holy Spirit of unmerited favor from God's presence. The Holy Spirit, water. The man meets you with a picture of water. And he will guide you. Look at this what man does. This Holy Spirit carries the water. Follow him into just follow him now. See now you don't have to go after the law, don't after the Ten Commandments. Don't. Now the Holy Spirit will guide you, correct? Follow him into the house where he enters. Which house does he enter? God's house, which is your body. You are the body, the temple of the living God, right? He enters the house first, correct? So he dwells in your house, correct? Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover? See, now this Passover has to be eaten in the redeemed body of a believer. You see that thing? Where you lodge right now is in Christ. It is not happening in Egypt. This is when the Holy Spirit has come. He's guided you. He's brought you to the place where you lodge. Look at the instruction very clearly. That I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So who is eating the Passover with us? Jesus. So now who is breaking the bread for us? Jesus. And who is receiving it? We. So communion is God, Jesus breaking his bread for us. And we receiving it. So we don't do communion in a sense. We receive communion from Jesus Christ himself. In his aboding place. Whose house is this? The master's house. And the teacher comes and has Passover with his disciples. Then he will show you, guess what? What does he show? And where do you dwell? 
He will show you. Remember, the Passover had to be in a place where you dwell and you do not leave that place because judgment is happening all around. And that is the place and that is the lintels that you have to put the blood on. So it's very important for them. The room is very important for the Passover. It cannot be just the house. Did I tell you that? That it's the lentils of the place where you abode that the blood is going to be protected. It's not the big house. So the room is very important. That's why the Bible says that in my father's house are many mansions and rooms, dwelling places, manuka. I go and prepare a place for you. So we are in that prepared place. We are in that room. So when we live as believers, we are living in this, in this what place? Look at this place. There we will show you a large the Greek says mega, large, mega, furnished, furnished, completely furnished, upper room. Why upper room? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are seated far above judgment. We are like Noah's ark, floating above judgment. Was Noah's ark judged? Yes or no? Yes. Because Noah's ark was judged because the flood was carrying Noah's ark also. But the ones inside the ark was not wet. So Jesus was judged. But we are in Christ Jesus. Got it? So there is judgment happening. Correct? But we are far above judgment. We are in Christ Jesus. Right? What does he do? So they went and found it just as he had said. See? They went and found it just as he said. And they prepared the Passover. See, Passover preparation is your act. Right? You have to decide to do Passover. Correct? You have to do it. You are willing to do it. God is not going to force it to you. You can decide, I will, I will take the judgment. I am a good believer, but I'm, I want to suffer. I want to suffer for God. That's not the suffer for the work of God. Not for that. I'm saying sickness, disease, poverty, stress, all. I am going to suffer for God. I am going to suffer for God. You don't need to. You, your choice. It doesn't say you're automatically exempted. But you, you don't want to discern the Lord's body. You, you can very well go ahead and do that. You want to sleep early? You can sleep early. You know. Okay. When the hour had come, guess what Jesus did? Look at this verse. He sat down. See, communion is in a place of finished work. It's a sitting posture. It's not a standing posture. Remember, they ate... The Israel, Egyptians ate the Passover standing, ready to leave. But we eat our Passover sitting because our lamb has finished. Tetelestai. Finished. It's done. So there is, he doesn't stand, neither do you need to stand. Both need to stand. He's done. Finished. It's all done. It's done for you. So you have communion with the, with the, with the absolute confirmation and peace in your heart that it is finished. It's done. And he said, with firm and desire, I've desired to eat. Wow, just Jesus said, see, I've desired so much to eat this Passover because he's doing communion now. Jesus is saying, with so much desire, I want to do this communion for you because I could never do it before. See, because, see, for the communion to happen, something had to happen. What was the something? Why couldn't Jesus do the Passover before this event, night? Very important. Why couldn't he do this Passover before this? The lamb was getting killed that next day. See, unless the lamb has been killed, 
past, the true Passover could never be done. See, for us, communion is the true Passover. Our lamb was judged and punished. It was. It was done. It was done. So now, and Jesus says, with fervent desire, with fervent desire, with fervent desire, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat of this fruit. But I will, I will take this, and then he says, and then he keeps on doing it. This is my body which will be given. This is my, and he says the same thing. Behold, behold. Okay. Wow. This is great. Okay. Uh, I want you to go to uh, John chapter. Okay. Do you want the reference about the dogs, swine message? Okay. Just uh, write it down as Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. That was in the question of judging your brothers. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. Judge not and you will not be judged. Look at that. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the plank from your eye. And look, and look a plank is in your eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your eye. And you will be able to see clearly to remove the plank speck from your brother's eye. Do not cast what is holy to the dogs. Nor cast your poles before the swine. Lest they trample them under the feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So he's talking about judging others when you yourself are not righteous. Right? He says, don't use judgment. Put it under the, under the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't give an option for that. Okay, let's go to John chapter 5, verses 22. John chapter 5, I'm going to run through the verses and you can look at it. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 22. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one. So that's clear, right? John chapter 5 verse 22. For the Father judges no one. Very clear. But has committed all judgment to the Son. The word committed is given. So what the Father has done is, He has taken all our judgments and judged the Son. So we read it many times as God, Jesus is going to judge. No. God took, the reason he does not judge anyone is because he's taken all the judgment and judged Jesus. The Passover lamb. Got it? Okay. So that you are, not, you are clear, let me give you some more passages. John chapter 5 verse 24. Same one. Why does it? Look at John chapter 5 verse 22. For the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son. So why are now everybody honoring the son? Because the son has taken the judgment. Why would you want to honor the son? If the son has not done anything regarding judgment for us. The reason we are honoring the son is because the son has taken the judgment on our behalf. Got it? So then verse 24. Amen, Amen. Most assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed, same word, passed over from death to life. He skipped judgment. You see that thing? Because the son has been judged, you have passed over. Say, I passed over from judgment. I'm done with judgment. The father does not, has, does not judge. 
He has committed all judgment to the son. And the son says, if you believe in him and the one who is son, I have passed over. Pass over, man. Pass over judgment. Judgment is done in our life. We are done with judgment. Jesus' words, red letter, if you like. You know, red letter. Okay, just look at this. You know, I have a question. When they say that um, you have to give an account for everything, yeah. No, that is the, the, the word there is everyone has to come give an account. He's talking about believers. Unbelievers, everybody has to appear before the judgment seat of God. But believers, there are two mentions of the judgment seat. The word, very funny. I told you the Greek is kriya, krina. Krina means judgment. But in those two places where it says the judgment seat of God or the judgment seat of Christ, which has been mistranslated by New Kingdom's version and many translations is the word is bimatos. Bimatos means elevated pedestal to receive a reward. Bimatos, you will, receive, you will appear before the bimatos of Christ. So that uh, what is worthless will be destroyed and for the things that have been done in Christ, you will receive a reward. So it is where the bimatos, where the elevated pedestal, where the, the they would give that, you know that Olympics, they would put them in an elevated pedestal 2 and 3 and give them that... Uh, that olive leaf or what do we call that thing? That's the, that's the, that is, that area is called the Bimathos, the Bima place, the Bima place. And you can look at it in the Greek now because of Google, that Bible hub, you can pick, but go to Bible hub, man. If you want the Greek, you just click on it, the Greek translation with the Hebrew, with the English, with the Strong's concordance is all there. I mean, your guys are better than Bible students then with that. So Bimathos, that's very clear. So that so we do not appear before the judgment seat of God. We do not. We appear before the Bimathos of Christ to receive our reward. Because he, he wants to say, because he says, if I, that's why Paul says, I I am going, to, I'm not going to build on anybody's foundation except Christ. Because I know if I build on anybody's foundation, my works are going to be destroyed. Why? Because my work is going to be destroyed. Because I'm not going to get a reward for it. I'm going to spend my years ministering in an area on somebody else's work and it is not based on Christ, I'm not going to get a reward. I would have spent a lot of time, but it's all burnt up. In the sense that I'm not going to get a reward for it. So I'm going to run so carefully and smartly that I get a reward. Not eternal life, reward. Because Jesus has rewards for you, for what you did. He says, even if you give a cup of water, you will not by, by no means lose your reward. I mean, there are rewards in store for you. He is not only generous to bless you now, he wants to bless you for what he did in you. Isn't that cool? He works in you and he blesses you for that. That is Christ. Okay? Let's go quickly. Yeah. Okay. We judge ourselves in the, in the body. Oh yes, you have to judge ourselves. You are judging yourselves, but you are saying, see, Christ, Christ did not take the judgment of his stuff. Christ took our judgment. See, that, that connection has to be made in your recognition of the Lord's body. You cannot say, Christ died, he was a righteous man, see how the Romans killed him, what evil Romans. Oh, you missed it. The Jews killed him. You missed it. You have to remember that it was your judgment that the Passover lamb took. You judged yourself in Christ Jesus by discerning the Lord's body. Remember that said it was broken for you, not for himself. That's why Jesus is very clear. Broken for you. 
<laughs> just in case you decide that I, when I was uh, when I was in five years old, I uh, stole a lollipop, and because of that, I had to suffer on the cross. No, 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 no. no. This judgment I am doing broken is for you, because you are so evil, because you are so bad, right? It was your judgment that. That's why the, the Bible, Jesus, uh, God was very clear in the Old Testament. I will kill everybody. I don't care Egyptians or Israelites. The only thing that's stopping judgment from coming over you has nothing to do with you. It has to do with whether there is blood. Somebody had to die. You couldn't put uh, red paint. It is not about color. You know what I mean? It had to be, it could not be just somebody little bruised and color put. No, little bruised and blood put. No, 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 no. Dead. Dead lamb's blood. A killed blood. That's why when John appears in Revelation, he sees a lamb as if slain. That's why when Jesus stands, he has his marks. He left those marks there still to prove to everyone that it is. We always wondered, right, of all the things in his body, why did he, if he, he could make all things new, why didn't he just, why did he leave signs of his crucifixion on his body? Why? In his legs, in his hands, why? On his side, why? Because he is telling you that it is, price has been paid. It has been judged. It is my body. It has been paid. It's been judged. See, he wants you to constantly remember that your judgment was paid by him. Constantly. For your sake. Because you can forget and receive judgment on yourself. Because now it is his judge, you can always constantly look at his wounds and say, huh, but that is my judgment. That is my judgment. That is my judgment. Why am I paying it again? That's why he left his wounds on his body. And so the Jews would recognize that he is Jesus. That is Jesus. Yeah. He said, that's why he says in Zechariah. Zechariah says when when uh, when they when they then uh, he's talking about a shepherd who's been judged and that's in the context because he took a role of a judgment as a wayward shepherd, he as a bad shepherd he took that judgment also right for all the good all the shepherds who were not good shepherds for Israel he took their judgment also, so he became a bad shepherd in front of his father God correct and took their judgment and he says he comes to says what what is this wounds in your hands he says. These are ones which I've received in my friend's house. Oh, that's so beautiful, right? My friend's house. These are the. So Israel will come and say, We did it. But they, that's when, when they repent. That's when, that's when they all repent. They, when their Messiah shows up with wounds on his hands, no, they never crucified a Messiah. You know, the first time, there's only in today's Bible study I realized crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus was requested by the Jews. Israel. See, the Pilate told the Jews when Jesus was brought up, said, you go and judge him according to your law. Right? So then they replied, because Jesus, Pilate didn't want to crucify him. Right? So crucifixion was not his plan. His plan, they would scourge, they would do that. Crucifixion, they would only give it for the most evil of uh, crimes. Right? Like rebellion, murder, they would do that. So when they brought him, he said, why don't you go and judge him according to your law? They replied back to him. They schemed this. They schemed this. See, they could have killed him. They could have stoned him. Remember they brought him first to Caiaphas, Ananas, and then to Caiaphas? See, they, before bringing to Pilate, they had already brought him to their Jewish leaders, to the nation of Israel, the elders, the chief priests. And they could stone him because remember the Caiaphas said, you are committing blasphemy because you are saying you are the son of God. But they did not want to stone him. Why? 
because they were afraid of the multitude. You see, by, by this time, Jesus was extremely popular. Why do you think they needed Judas? Because they wanted Judas to find the time when Jesus was alone with his disciples away from the multitude. It's very clear. Jesus, they, that's how the deal with Judas was. Show us a time when he's away from the multitude where we can apprehend him. Because everywhere Jesus would go, there was multitude. And he was so popular that they, they were afraid to uh, do anything to Jesus. They would have been a rebellion. Those guys would have been killed. So they were waiting. So they, Judas knew about this time, place in the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would pray often. And only the disciples knew this. Because the crowds were never there in Gethsemane. If you noted? Because that was a secret place for Jesus. They would go there often when they were in Jerusalem. He would go to the Mount of Olives, pray, and come back in the morning to uh, in the temple. And they would, the, the multitudes would gather again. Because he was, his miracles and all these things going on. So he was always strong. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, pe the, the, the people never saw it. So that was the deal. So, so what happened was, so why didn't they not store him? Because they were afraid of the people. The people would know that the people, uh, they stoned Jesus. That would have created a problem for them. So they wanted to run this judgment through Pilate so that when Pilate crucifies Jesus, they could say, not our problem. You know, the Romans, they are always against us and the Jews. You see? And it would work in their favor and make the Romans look more evil. At the same time, accomplish their purpose of envy against Jesus because he is attracting the crowds and he is giving the easy way of salvation, which they don't. It doesn't give them the credibility, right? They don't have to keep the law and all that stuff, and their power is reduced, isn't it? So, so when they said go and judge, he said, why don't they? What they said very smart. They said it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Because the Romans had instituted a law for all crimes you can do, but putting death, you would need our permission because they are still author. But for all other religious matters, whipping and all, you all do. But didn't that didn't stop them from stoning uh, Stephen? That didn't stop them from stoning Jesus in Nazareth. That didn't stop them from stoning uh, the adulterous woman. So they could stone if they wanted to, but it was very convenient. To say to the pilot that, hey, it's not lawful. So immediately Pilate asked this question. Immediately. When he brought up crucifixion. Then he said, what do you want me to do to him? They said, crucify him. See? Because the word crucifixion means Jesus prophesied. I will be lifted up. I'll tell you how important this crucifixion is. It's so important that Jesus had to die on a cross. It's so important he had to die, he had to be crucified. Very, very important. There's a reason about communion. It's again about communion. I'll talk to you, I'll show it to you. But the important thing is, so what they said was crucify. So Pilate immediately responded. So what evil has he done? See? Crucifixion and evil. Because now they say, so what evil has he done? Because now they're asking for, Pilate was not expecting that reply. Crucifixion? Whoa! Why? What evil has he done? You know? And that, that, that's how the whole process started. And that's all. So crucifixion was specifically asked by Israel. Okay, so very interesting. Let's go jump back, okay? Go to John chapter, Amen, Amen. So we said that we have passed over from judgment, so passed. Passover has happened for us. Hasn't Passover happened for us as believers now? 
We believe in it, so we pass over judgment once for all. The father doesn't judge, the son doesn't judge. He said, I do not judge. Okay, but how do you know that I do not judge? Say, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. Verse 30, John chapter 5, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. Okay, so and let's go over here. As I hear, I judge. I, I, I decide, I give an opinion based on what I hear. Let's look, look at it. My judgment is righteous because I do not see. And he's talking about the end time judgment that is coming. Let's go to, let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. That's a powerful chapter. Now this is the time where judgment is happening. See, now all through Jesus' ministry, this is the final weeks before crucifixion. This is when the Greeks come to Jesus. Now Jesus is so popular that the Greeks have started to come. When the Greeks are coming, when the Greeks are coming, means that's the elite of the world in those days. When the Greeks are coming to Jesus, that means the word has gone to the diaspora, which is in the four corners, in the noble, in the elites. So that means Jesus has become extremely popular now. The Greeks are coming. Like the British are coming, you know, the Greeks are coming. So, the, so verse 20, 20, now there were certain Greeks among them who came to Jerusalem. They came to Philip and they from that side of Galilee said, we, we, So, we wish to see Jesus, you know. Oh, really, you know, they want to see Jesus. Now Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew came, Philip came and told Jesus. Now it's like a big deal with the president of, you know, big, big guys are coming. Now Jesus, at that, that's the time of his crucifixion, very close. And Jesus answered and says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He's talking about his death. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it bears a lot. He's talking about his death again. He who hates his life and again talks about his death. Okay. And then verse 27. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's talking about the judgment. For this purpose I came to this hour. See? The Father is judging no one, has committed all judgment to the Son. The Father has sent the Son to bear the judgment. For this reason I've come for this hour. And we know that. Then verse 28. Father glorify your name. And a voice came down from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by heard it and he said, He thundered and an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake but for your sake. Now, verse 20, 31. Look at verse 31. What is it? Now is the judgment of the world. Hey, this is not the last day judgment. That is not, this is not the judgment that we have been told. What judgment is this? This is the judgment. The Passover lamb, when Jesus dies, the killing, hear this, killing of the Passover lamb, Jesus equates to the hour of judgment. The killing of the Passover lamb, he equates to the hour of judgment. This is the hour that the Father God had prepared for so long. He's committed all judgment. He doesn't judge anybody because this judgment was waiting for Jesus. Can you believe it? All of the world's judgment, the hour has come. Jesus is saying, they are, now they are, they are excited about the Greeks coming. Can you look at this? Look at this. Look at this. Look at, look at the soul of Jesus. Right? The greatest hype is going on outside his ministry. He's arrived. Right? The Greeks are coming. And that is the time he's thinking about what? The greatest hour. The hour of judgment. 
What a time for Satan to come and tempt him out of it. Isn't it? The Greeks are coming. Get out from this place, right? What a contrast. I mean, if ever there was a contrast of what is facing him and what has been given to him and what he decides to choose. That's why he made that statement, if a, if somebody, if a seed dies, he will die alone. But if he dies, he will bear much fruit. He's talking about himself. He said, I have a choice. I can be famous and the Greeks and Messiah. And, or I could take judgment for all of you. Because I am the Passover lamb. It's powerful, very powerful. Judgment. See, you're still on the issue of judgment, isn't it? You see the power of judgment? Judgment, the enemy doesn't want you to remember judgment. Because he can slightly bring judgment into your life because you don't discern that Jesus has been judged. Very, very powerful. I'm telling you if this one of the most powerful messages God has revealed to this life to him is just judgment message. Judgment message. Because in this is the secret of the Passover killing. The twilight, the Passover lamb had to be killed. Killed. Okay, let's look at it further. My soul is troubled. See, why is it troubled? It's a trouble because she has a choice, right? He doesn't want to take this judgment because he has to take judgment for the whole world, back, present, future, for everything. My soul is troubled. What shall I say to the Father? He's thinking now, Lord. Father, save me from this hour. But for, uh, but for this hour, for this purpose, I came to the Father, glorify you. Then now is the judgment of this world. You know what the good news is? You know what the good news is? The second part of verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. What? Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Oh wow. I like this. See that is powerful. See you always thought that judgment is about Jesus. Correct? But he sees many things in this. He sees the hour of judgment equals the ruler of the world is cast out. Why? Why? Remember the Passover night. What tenth, nine plagues could not get, the tenth Passover lamb could get. Because on the tenth Passover lamb, the ruler of Egypt was cast out. It's powerful. On a simple act of eating the Passover lamb, the ruler, the principality that held Egypt under subjugation and cannot leave even because of deadly judgments that even their magicians could not accomplish. They would not let him go. They would not let Israel go because Israel's sin was a valid reason for this power. And it's a valid reason for your for the reason that the enemy can bring stuff in your life because your sin is valid for him. Right? So the only way you can be free of this ruler of this world, and he calls it, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Ruler of this world, not of Israel, not of India, not of Abu Dhabi, not of Carrollton. This guy is a ruler of this world. The word in Greek is Archeon. Archangel. The chief. He's the Archeon of the world. The Archeon will be cast out. Why? The Archeon is a ruler because of your sin. Remember? 
So somebody had to be judged. For the archaeon to be cast out, judgment had to come on you. Right? And you had to fully meet your judgment. But the there's a problem with it. The way you would be judged is you would die forever. So how would you reap the benefits of your judgment? The wages of sin was eternal death. Oh, the gift of God is life through Christ Jesus. The hour of judgment is, look at powerful words. He says, now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And look at the verse 32. You never, I never understood this in context, in power. And if I am lifted up from the earth, and we always think about this as this worship song. Lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Wrong translation of this verse. This lifting is not exalting Jesus. Why? Because the next verse explains him. Look at this. Verse 34. Verse 33. By this he said, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. He's still on judgment. Right? And the people, and the people immediately, look at these people, they're Hebrews, right? They're, 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 they're Hebrews. They immediately got what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand a lot of things, but when Jesus said this, they understood it. They understood it. Look at what they said. The people answered him and said, we have heard from the law that Christ, that the Messiah, does not die. Remains forever. How is it that you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? If they have understood that the Son of Man be lifted up and as we understand the Son of Man be lifted up, why would they make that connection to the Messiah will live forever? Because they knew what Jesus was saying. Because that was a current local language. It was like what you would say. You know what, in 10 days I am going to kick the bucket. So it doesn't mean that I am not going to, by the way. I praise God, in Christ Jesus I live for a long life, right? What I am saying is, when somebody says I am going to kick the bucket, means what? He goes to the bathroom and kicks the bucket. No. He's going to die. It's a common understanding fact that in crucifixion times, hey, this guy is lifted up, man. He was lifted up because it's such a cruel punishment. They didn't want to say the words crucify. They said he was lifted up. Means he was crucified. So when Jesus used the word, they, and this is, this is, this is when the Greeks are in town. <laughs> so when the Greeks are in town, he's talking about the worst punishment. Just think of it. I mean, the, Jesus, the disciples are like, hold it. I mean, we just, we just take a break and come back later. Let's call it a day, you know. You know, they're still discussing who should go to Jesus and say the Greeks are coming. And Jesus is talking about being lifted up. Because he's talking about judgment. Because he has you on your mind. He has me on my mind. He's talking about thinking of judgment. Because he knows the ruler of the world over you, Archeon, is going to be cast out. And, he, and he, for the first time he says, if I be lifted up, look at this verse. Go back to your King James Version and you will love it. Look at this one. Verse 32. And if and I, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all. Is the peoples in italics? Yes. Yes. 
I will so drop the italics, right? Because it's not in the original. I will draw all to myself. So what is he going to draw all? Judgment. This powerful judgment that is waiting for centuries that the enemy is using as an adversary against you and against all the blessing that has been withholding from you and all the blessing of Adam, all the blessing of Abraham, all the blessing of the son of the daughter of the Most High God, everything and he can has a right to bring disease and sickness and kill your children and kill murder and rape and brutalize uh, the world and subjugate it and tears and tyranny and break the earth and it's going to all suddenly find oh, it's like a missile that is now found you know this homing missile the infrared missiles that they use in if they send it out, anytime there's a metal in the air, it locks it and goes after it. So what they do is, these fighter pilots, they have what they call, they eject hundreds and millions of particles of metal particles, cloud particles in the air. So what happens with this missile, when these heat-seeking missiles come, the, their radar detects these cloud of metal particles and goes after it instead of the fighter pilot. That's what they do. So that is what you do. So when he was lifted up, that crucifixion as a death was important because when he was hanging between heaven and earth, all of earth and heaven's judgment in the heavens and in the earth came upon this, like a homing missile found a target. The target was identified three days before by John the Baptist. Or three years before in Jesus' ministry. When Jesus said, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, suddenly said the demons started popping up from everywhere in Galilee and till then there is no demons, right? They're all, they, they are there. But nobody shows up. But the movement, the baptism of the Holy Spirit after John proclaims that he is the Lamb of God, guess what? Demons started showing up. What have you to do with us? We know you are the Holy One of God. Guess what? They, the missile has found his target. They know that this is a Passover Lamb. So what? You like little baby want to now become the Passover Lamb. Now we want to be attract all this judgment. Why? He has been lifted up. And attracted. And Jesus is very clear. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all. It just sucks it up. All your judgment, all your sickness, all your disease. So when you have communion, remember, like a vacuum cleaner, Jesus sucking it up into that bread. Sucks it up. Sucks it up. You discern. Not on you. No, there, there. That's on him. Discern the body. You got it? So it's powerful, right? The broken body of Jesus Christ. And he said, I did it. And then he says, that, and then that's what he said. Okay, then you go back to very powerful, very, very powerful. If I be lifted up. Verse okay, verse John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 47. The same, same. Now that he said, I will, I will draw judgment to me. And then he says, what is the benefit to you? 
verse 44 to 43rd 50 but i will go on to this verse 47 and if anyone hears my words and does not believe i do not judge him for i did not come to there you go come be more clearer i did not come to judge the world i came to receive the judgment isn't it i didn't come to judge the world i did not come to judge the world but to save the world how does he save it Correct, Prasad. That's it. He saved the world by receiving the judgment. See, the judgment, see, brothers and sisters, judgment has to be, has to be delivered. Judgment has to be delivered. There is nothing like, you know, ah, it's okay, he's my son, you know. No. Judgment had to be delivered. It has to be delivered. The only problem is that Jesus just received it. Okay. And now what is judge righteously? That word is called uh, it's called it's from the root word doxo that means you should be able to decide, discern clearly. Discern clearly. Judge. That English word they use the same word. To judge means judge among your brothers. When he used, Paul used that word when he comes to. Why do you go to Gentiles to settle your matters? Don't you have somebody wise among you? The word that he used there. Why don't you discriminate among your brothers? Means resolve the matters, decide among you. Okay. He's talking about that judgment. Right? Well, they get confused and so they start throwing. They start. They can judge. Oh no no. Judge no no no. No no no. Okay, that is what because we do not judge, right? Hey, that is why Paul said, I do not even judge myself. Remember that verse? You know that verse? Paul said, I do not even judge myself. Because I do not judge. I'm not perfect. You know? Are you not perfect? He said, we are God. Jesus Christ has presented us perfect and blameless before the Father God. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are perfect. Our judgment has been paid. Sanctified and purified. Completely. Okay. Verse 10. Okay, we have so many verses, but I will quickly, I'll, I'll close with this. But now let me see you practical examples of communion implementation. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 20, verse 11. Remember this guy who died and was listening to a message that was so long, and he's not talking about one of y'all. <laughs> that is why I make everybody sit on the ground floor and nobody sits up there. On the windows, okay. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 11. Uh, now in the window, Acts chapter 20, verse 9. And in a window at a certain, a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking in a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued sleeping, he fell down from the third floor and was taken up dead. And when Paul went down, he fell on him and embraced him. Do not trouble him for his life is in him. Right? He was not raised up yet. He just went and embraced him and said, don't worry, his life is in him. But he's still dead. He's died. Then what did he do? Verse 11. And when he had come up, who? Oh, had broken bread. He's having communion now. And eaten and talked a long way, even till daybreak, he departed. So, the guy, <laughs> the guy is still down dead. Paul has communion, talks with them. And goes. Look at the next verse. And they brought the young man in alive. 
and they were not a little comforted. That's a nice way of saying, man, they were so happy. But it happened upon communion, remember? Because when Paul, Paul said, okay, the guy is dead, right? So he's being judged. He's taking the judgment, right? Some, many sleep early, not discerning the Lord's body. So Paul said, okay, we'll discern the Lord's body. We go back, break bread. He breaks bread. So the body is now declared, reminds yours, proclaim the Lord's death accurately till he comes. So guess what? Now the judgment is, reminds yourself that Jesus died for you, correct? Guess what happens? The guy wakes up because judgment, remember the ruler of the world cannot keep death on you because you discern the Lord's body. Let me show you something very powerful. John chapter 16 talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, go back quickly. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin. Number one, of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, let's see who is, what, what does the Holy Spirit do about judgment? Uh, John chapter 16 verse, uh, John chapter 16 verses 8, 9, 10, 11. You should know this by heart because it's so powerful of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because it has three different categories of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number one, he comes, he convicts the world of sin. And he says, or verse 9, of sin because they, look at the word they, the world doesn't believe in me. The Holy Spirit's only job right now is to convict the world of judgment. No, he convicts the world of sin. See, the world is convicted of sin because why does the world have sin? They have sin because they are in darkness, correct? But why does sin remain in them? Huh? Because, not because they repent. Repent means metanoia means change their mind towards God. That means God is good. They did not receive the, uh, the work of Jesus. They didn't receive the judgment of Jesus. Correct? So the, their sin remains. So the Holy Spirit is not going around convicting the world that they are sinful because of their deeds. Ah! You see this? The Holy Spirit is convicting the world that they are sinners that their sin remains because they have not believed in their Savior. See, remember their sin has been paid up by Jesus. See, it doesn't matter whether somebody repented or not. The judgment has been paid up by Jesus, isn't it? Correct? So there is no need for the world to have sin. Correct? Because we have been made righteous. See, not only was Jesus paid the judgment, Jesus was raised alive, declaring us righteous. So that is why there were two important things about Jesus' crucifixion, his death and his resurrection. He was resurrected because that was declaring that the punishment is more than enough. Now he has a new life. That means you are perfect also now. You got it? So now we are righteous also. The world is, that's why the, the world says, the, Paul said in Ephesus, the Lord in Christ Jesus is not counting the world's sins against them, but reconciling the world. He's talking about the world, not believers. And to, unto us has been given that ministry of reconciliation. So when you don't go around pointing the world's sins, seriously, don't waste your time. They already know they are sinners. You go around declaring to them the Savior, that they don't have to pay for their sins. Hey, who doesn't want to receive that message? Don't point them about their sin. Point them that they don't have to pay for their sins. Hey, I will take that. Free is a popular cultural word in every generation. Amen? 
Lord, we are so afraid that if we present that message, people will use that license to sin more. No. No. Doesn't do that. In fact, the Holy Spirit, remember the, the first thing that meets you when you enter the city? <laughs> God's trick is very simple. So you think that they will go crazy, right? But guess what? They meet a man with a pitcher of water. <laughs> and that pitcher of water cleans you, directs you into a large house and furnished house and teaches you. That's why many times Paul and John in his episodes will say, we don't need that anyone teach you. See that verse? It's only in the New Testament. We don't need that anybody teach you. You already know that from the Lord. Why? Because it's part of the new covenant promise. From the least to the greatest, all shall be taught by the Lord and they shall all know me. See the power of now Lord PDO training? Oh wow! See, the, see God's method was so different. The world says put more laws. <laughs> so they're constantly in Austin and Washington passing more laws. So somebody kills somebody in some church, you want to pass more gun law. Somebody wants to do something, you want to pass more law. How many laws can you pass and what can you do? I mean, the government can only do so much. Because they don't have a savior to help. But the, the Father God has a savior mixed with the instruction. instruction. Teacher. It's so powerful, right? Therefore we can forgive. That's why I love the, the church. They said we forgive. Hallelujah. So he wanted to bring hate, this guy. But the response is, so the ISIS guys are looking at this video and it's like, something is amiss out here, right? What's going on out here? These guys never get angry. They don't. Because why? Who taught them to love? The Holy Spirit. Right? The man with the picture. Hey, did you study about something about the man with the picture? Right? Today, I mean, I studied this in my quiet time today. I was like, man. I thought it was like a common, ordinary instruction that's lying out there. Hey, nothing is ordinary. It's so powerful, right? So that's a powerful, powerful thing. Where, are, where was I? Oh, okay. The world. The world is, he convicts the world of sin and of, uh, of sin because they do not believe in me. So when you minister, don't minister to people about their sin. Minister to them about the need for their savior and the fact that their sins can, are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Not that will be forgiven. See, you get this, get this, get this. Don't tell them that if they, if they believe in Jesus, their sins will be forgiven. No. No. You tell the people that believe in Jesus because in Jesus your sins are forgiven already. Receive the benefits of it. So what happens is, your sins are already forgiven. That's why Jesus said, no, 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 I remember your sins no more. It's already forgiven. Because price has been paid, right? God is going to be unjust if he's going to now exact punishment from a world of their sin because it's been punished. But guess what the world does? In the last days, that's why Jesus said, I do not judge them. The word that I've spoken to you, that judges you. Even in the last day, Jesus does not judge people. The gospel judges them. The gospel will stand up. The message will stand up and tell them, you said you do not want the Savior. You didn't want the benefits of that. So you wanted to take your own punishment. So go for it. Got it? So they, their sins are already forgiven. So they are deciding, I do not want this free package. I want to pay for it again. Like discerning the Lord's body, I want to pay for it again. So we do it in, in milder versions. 
the unbelieving world will do it in condemnation. You see the difference? But both are done to some level. Got it? We just don't receive eternal punishment, but we receive it on a very mild way. You know, they receive it on a on a confirmed way of eternal punishment of damnation because they said, I want to pay for it five thousand. So, so it, it's a waste of that gift, a free gift. Okay, let's look at the next verse. And of, and of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. See, he has three different ministries, one to the world, one to you. So the Holy Spirit's ministry to you is always about what? About? Look at that verse. 10 of righteousness because you, I, go, I go to the Father and you see no more. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is with you, is constantly going to tell you that you're righteous, you're righteous, you're righteous because I am not there to tell you so. See, because when I was with you, I never gave you an, a consciousness of your sin, isn't it? Because that's what Jesus is telling to the disciples. When I'm with you, did you ever felt like a sinner before me? No. You walked contradictory with me, you never laughed anything, you, all your needs were met, you walked like righteous. In fact, you're so bold, John, James and John, you wanted to kill the Samaritans. Yeah? They were so bold in their righteousness. Should we, like Elijah, bring down fire and destroy them? Who would ever say that unless they are confident in their own righteousness? Right? They were confident. But Jesus said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Because I did not come to judge. Again, he uses that same thing. I did not come. The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save. Again, he uses the word same word. I say, look at the concept. Even on a Samaritan, you know, all the Samaritans, the guys who would, they brought idols from Assyria, put it in uh, Samaria, and told the king. The king brought people from Assyria, and they brought people and gods from Assyria, brought and put it in Samaria. And, and built a temple and said, this is your temple of Jerusalem in Samaria. Worship this. Don't need to go for the Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and uh, this is the third feast. Don't go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Jerusalem, stay in Samaria and worship these gods. That's good enough. So they did crazy things. And even for that, Jesus says, I did not come to destroy. See, remember, the Samaritan is not like this innocent nice neighbor, friendly neighborhood. No, 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 no. Those guys were absolutely evil. They were evil. But God says, do not destroy them. Right? But he reminds you of righteousness because I go to the Father no more and you see me no more. Right? Because I, I'm not there to constantly affirm with you that you are righteous. See how God is so good. He sends the Holy Spirit to you to constantly remind you, not of judgment, because, not of sin, because that the world, because you are with Christ Jesus, because we believe in Jesus, isn't it? So how can he remind us of sin? And so much of the church's emphasis on believers is about sin. Seriously? It should be out. How can it? It doesn't match. The Holy Spirit does not even bear witness to it. The Holy Spirit bear witness about your righteousness. Because I go to the Father. Because Jesus knows the moment I leave you, you'll start feeling condemned. Guess what happened? Who felt condemned the moment he left? Peter felt condemned, right? Judas felt condemned. You know, everybody starting to, everybody wants to go back to their own business. They want to go fishing. Nobody feels holy anymore. They are afraid of the Jews. You see that? So important that the Holy Spirit comes. And we thought the Holy Spirit only comes for tongues. 
No, 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 no. The primary job of the Holy Spirit is to convince you of your righteousness. It's very powerful. Okay, but that was not the whole point. The whole point was the verse 3 of judgment because the ruler of this world is Hallelujah! See, judgment, the Holy Spirit's job is to constantly remind the enemy. Oh, this is powerful. So when, when you have sickness in your body and you discern the Lord's body, the Holy Spirit goes to work for you and says, the ruler of the world is cast out. So this judgment from you has to be because the ruler has, see because the, the diseases and sicknesses on your body, the poverty, the lack, the stress is the works of the ruler of this world. So the Holy Spirit when he removes that and activates it, he is implementing the third part of his ministry, declaring to the ruler of the world that you are judged. The hour of judgment has gone, come and gone. And this believer is reminding me, and I bear witness with this believer, that the ruler of this world is judged. Then you start seeing miracles in your life. See, the miracles in your life is, is many times stuff of the ruler of the world dissipating because you recognize the body of Jesus Christ. You got it? You understand that? It's powerful. Okay. But I was going with something else, but I forgot. Okay, okay, so we talked about the young man who was raised from the dead. Okay, let me give you another example. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. Another very interesting concept. And I'll show you how well you, uh, you can break bread. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Remember this uh, shipwreck that happened to Paul? And he was with a bunch of unbelievers, right? No believers, he's the only guy. All Egypt, all soldiers and everybody. Okay. And Paul wants them, correct? Uh, Acts chapter 27 and when there was much time has been spent and sailing and now dangerous because the fast was already over Peter Paul advised them saying men I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster now Paul is warning them that this voyage I mean, he threw the whole, who is telling him who told Paul that this voyage is going to end in disaster Holy Spirit how does Paul know he doesn't know maritime the captain knows the Holy Spirit remember the man with the picture he will guide you. Bible says he will guide you into all truths and tell you of the things to come. Is this storm a thing to come? The Holy Spirit tells Paul about the things to come. That's the Holy Spirit wants you of a lot of things to come. Correct? Now look at the best part of this. Even when you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, not because of your sake or your, your disobedience or because of the disobedience of the people with you, and you fall into trouble. Look at the fun part, right? Look at the fun part. Judgment still cannot stay with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you get that? Okay, let's look at this. So I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster, much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of the of our lives. Whose lives? Thomas. Our lives, including Paul, the righteous apostle of Christ. Holy Spirit is telling Paul, you all guys are going to die if you all go on this. Right? Wow. 
There's a prophetic word that has been uttered. It's done. Now, now, you want the prophetic word to happen or not? Now, sometimes it's like, you know, prophecy has, oh, if it doesn't happen, I am discredited. Seriously, you don't want judgment to ever happen, right? See, our, our heart should always be towards mercy. Never towards judgment, right? Jonah principle. That's called the Jonah principle. Remember the Jonah principle. Heart for mercy, not for judgment, right? We studied it once before. Now, when the south wind blew softly, look at that. First, 13, when the south wind blew softly. <laughs> That's how it is with you, know? The eyes cannot see what is the principalities applied for you. Everything looks great, so beautiful. We start on a course, we start a new business, we do this. Everything is softly, softly, nice, beautiful. Very important to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you. You don't have the peace in your heart, you are you will be led forth in the new covenant by peace. The Bible says. It's a covenant of peace. Remember Jeremiah chapter 31? It's a covenant of peace. When you are disturbed in your spirit as a believer, don't do it. Doesn't matter how good it is. No, no, no. These are the sufferings that a man should face to overcome our feelings and nah, uh, 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 not for you. For you, you will be led forth by peace. For the unbeliever, they don't, they cannot trust the feelings, peaceful or otherwise. Sometimes they trust their peaceful feelings and they fall, crash land. Sometimes they trust their uh, uh, gut feeling and they crash land. They crash land either way because they are in darkness. Remember, you are not of darkness, you are of the light. You do not stumble, right? So you go by peace and the Holy Spirit is a covenant of peace. He will guide you with peace. You don't have a piece about it. Do not do it. Doesn't matter how attractive it is. Oh, the world! Oh, you'll miss a great opportunity. Who cares? Right? I follow the man with the picture. I think we need to write a song about it. <laughs> uh, he takes me to a furnished place and a large place and a mega place, and I sit down with my savior and I have my Passover. Hallelujah! If only that could rhyme. <laughs> right. Let's do that. Okay. So, so after, when a sound wind blows softly, supposing that they are supposing that they are obtained their desire, see how deceitful things are. Putting out the sea, they sail close to Crete, but no long after a tempest head wind arose called Euryclidon. When things in your life have a name, <laughs> when things are so bad, when those things have a name, those things are really bad. <laughs> you know. So when bad things in your life have a name. They were, they were naming the storms, I think. Then. Then also. Then also. Yeah. Even now they are in the storm. Yeah. Now you know where these storms come from, correct? Right. From the ruler of this world. Correct? So when things in your life have a name and they are evil, remember, remember, it's not your judgment. Okay. And then, then all that happens and finally... They were exceedingly, look at verse 18, because we were, because, and this is Paul, the apostle Paul, man, out of his body, handkerchiefs would heal people. I'm talking about power, power. But look at what's happening. Because we were exceedingly tempestuous, and the next day, look at what all they did. They started throwing their grains and their food and their cargo. Somebody's like, the pilot tells you in a plane, there is too much weight. Throw your luggage out, your hand baggage out. You know, some people will die, but they won't send their hand baggage out. 
the fights that people have over their hand baggage, right? <laughs> hey, let go of the hand baggage, right? At least your soul will be spared. <laughs> On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle over. Oh man, the tackle? The anchor? I don't know what, whatever, what, I don't know what is the tackle. Hey, Peter, do you know what the tackle is? Tools and that? I don't know that. Is that? Okay, we don't know. But it looks like a big, heavy object. Overboard with our own hands. When neither sun nor stars, it ends totally dark. It's so cloudy, so dark. No small tempest beat us on all hope. All hope. Paul, the apostle, is writing this. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Not was being given up. Not present continuous. <laughs> It is not present continuous tense. It is past perfect tense. <laughs> so Paul is like now making peace with Jesus and you know hereafter my course is done and I'm done. I have finally given up. Done. This is like the tackle is also gone out of the sea. That is the final thing. Just think about how bad it is. Wow. Verse 21. But Suddenly Paul remembers something. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of the people, them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> you are saying that, right? Yeah, yeah. You really are saying that. You should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart and there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Why? Because something happened. For they stood by me this night an angel of God. See, when he had given up hope, God is so gracious. Right? An angel of God stood to, to, to whom I belong. See, that's a difference now. Hey, you, your guys cannot claim that. But I, because I believe in Jesus, we belong to a God now. We belong. We are no longer orphans. We are not no longer a sheep in, out by our own. We are under a shepherd. We belong. You know, when we went to Ireland, you go, you, i show you pictures, it's beautiful. We go on this uh, roads, rolling hills and pastures on every side. On every side there is sheep, grazing, beautiful. And we would pass by and suddenly we started seeing uh, these sheep have colors on it, like orange uh, spots, green color. So if we are on a hill, then we all spotted pink colored uh, sheep. One spot on their body. And then it will be green. Guess what? Because each one belongs to one shepherd and one flock. And he would mark it. Remember the Bible says, I will mark you, I will number you. Because when a sheep is numbered, it's a sign that he is, he's owned. He belongs. He's taken care of. His pasture is prepared. Right? When we are not marked, we do not belong. That means we are astray. We are not sheep who are not marked. We belong. We have been taken care of. We belong to the shepherd. Hallelujah. Let's look at this further. To whom I belong and whom I serve. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God has blessed them. So look at the, the blessing that is upon Paul comes upon the whole people. Because of Paul, God says God has also given their life. Therefore take heart, for I believe it will be just as it was told you. However, we must run aground to a certain and look at it. And then, 
So they kept waiting for life. Then finally, 28, they, take, they, take, they started taking soundings. See, as they take it soundings, then there was land coming, there's land coming, it's becoming shallow. But now they're afraid what happened? The ships are going to run into rocks. And guess what? The biggest problem with ships is when they crash against the rocks and they're destroyed. A lot of the death happens not when it is ship, ship floating on the ship. It is when they ran aground against the rocks. So guess what? And fearing lest we run aground on the rocks, they they dropped four anchors from the stone and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had to let down the skiff. Skiff is like a small boat, right? And under the pretense of putting out the anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centuries, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and they, they destroyed the boat because these guys were trying to escape from the boat and run away. Paul said, if these guys go away, none will be saved. Don't let them go. Because I think Paul was having mercy on them. Because they will go in the ship and they will get destroyed. But when they are under the covering of Paul, under the blessing of Paul, they will be protected. They try to get away from Paul, right? And just find hunt for themselves. And God, Paul said, no, no, don't do that. You are being saved because, you know, technically, he doesn't want to say all that, right? He said, do not let them go. He, he's, he's so, so Paul, sometimes your companies prosper just because you are there, right? Your places that you prosper in. And many times you don't want them to fire you. Not because you want a job, but because you don't want them to die. You, have you thought about it that way? Right? You just don't want them to uh, be destroyed. They to go down. I'm like, I'm sorry for you guys, you know. I, you know, that kind. Okay. And, and, and look at this. And the soldiers cut them up. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food. Saying, today is the 14th day you are waited. So they waited. And continued without food and eating nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Not a hair of your will fall from your head. And when he had taken these things, guess what? What did he do? Verse 35. He took bread. He took. He took bread. Gave thanks. You can't And he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, what is he doing? He is discerning the Lord's body. He's breaking the body. And he began to eat. Who is eating it? He, because he belongs to God. Right? He is a believer. He's breaking bread and he's discerning the Lord's body and he begins to eat. Where? In a boat with no believers, no church. In where there's darkness and there is no light. He's breaking bread. Why? Because he's directing judgment on the bread on the bread that is receiving the judgment reminding himself of judgment i cannot die i'm breaking bread right and they were all encouraged and they took food themselves see they did not take bread for them that bread was food but to paul that broken bread was what passover prasad you're in it man you're in it you're in it. See for so the same bread is food for the unbelievers, but it is Passover for you. You see the power? The same bread. See, the Holy Spirit is not mixing words out there, right? It is food for them, but that's why Paul said to Corinthians, if you are hungry, don't you have food in your house? Remember that word food? Why don't you go and eat food in your house? 
But when you meet together, why don't you break bread? But bread is food. No. Because this bread is Passover. It's discerning the Lord's body. It's judgment time, folks. But the judgment is on the Passover lamb. On the matzah bread. The unleavened bread, which is broken. So powerful, right? Look at this imagery. It's so powerful. And guess what happens? He breaks bread. You know, there were 266 persons on the bread. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw all the weight. So, so guess what? They ate the food and they just threw it up. No regard for the tomorrow. Suddenly there is faith among the unbelievers. They just threw. I mean, they just, they're confident. See, why? Because when they, till then they never threw their food. But when they ate of the Passover lamb, when he ate of the Passover lamb, he threw away his provisions. Why? Why? Because his provision is in this bread. His supply is in that cup. He has received it. He has received the bread. Remember, now he is not caring about the provision that he brought. Now he is depending on what has been provided by Christ Jesus. Look at the next verse. It's so powerful. And when it was day, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they were observe a bay with a beach on which they had planned to run the ship and when they let go and they loosened striking a place and when it was they did not recognize them but when they observed a bay with a beach onto which they had planned to run the beach if possible and they let go the anchors and let them in the ship meanwhile loosened and they hoisted the ship and made for sure and striking a place where they run the ship and ground and the things happen and stuff happened look at this the next day they tell what has happened. The, the night it happened, same thing, just like the guy who was dead, this is what happened. The, the morning, resurrection life. So they had, he had communion. The next day morning, the, he could not see land, but they could recognize. They found a way out. Isn't that see? The same situation suddenly changed just because they had communion. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they broke bread from house to house. Say house to house house to house. So Paul broke bread alone. They broke bread together. They broke bread as a community, but they broke bread. When there was stress, when there was communion, they did that. Look at verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And the disciples, they continued in four things. As a, as a church, as a believer, we should continue in four things. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You should remember that throughout your life. Four things. Number one, continue in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? The new covenant in faith in Christ Jesus. If anybody robs you and says that you are not saved, that your sins are not forgiven, that is the apostle's doctrine. It's not some theology and big thing. The apostle's doctrine is your sins are forgiven, you are righteous in Christ Jesus. That is the apostle's doctrine. And you can only receive it by faith in Christ Jesus, not by your works. That is the apostle's doctrine. Continue in that. Number two, fellowship. Don't give up meeting with believers. Don't give up. However self-sufficient you feel. Number two. Number three. Breaking of bread. For your health. For your body. For your provision. For everything. And finally in prayers. So four things. Simple right? Believer's life is simple. Number one. Continue in the apostle's doctrine. Number two. Huh? Fellowship. Number three. Breaking of bread. Number four. Prayers. Because keep asking God. Keep asking God. Let's. Let's now get into communion and let's do that. Amen.